Spitzer. We're recording. Sure. We're really recording. Oh, okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Lasso Lowdown. We give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. I am your host, Lee. I am here. I'm joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Doing well, man. Spencer, we are getting firmly in the middle of the season, right? We're getting in sort of the middle quarter here. What did you think of the episode? I thought this was a solid episode. I mean, it didn't reach the heights of the last episode where I, th- I was think I think I was outright effusive on that, or at least effusive as I could get. But I think this was an important episode of nothing else. I'd seen critics going into the season saying this was the episode that really set the tenor for the show, or this was the episode that really kind of set the direction that they're going in. And I can see that. And I can see how important it is. I can see where it very much is steeping into the uh, show's kind of philosophies in terms of how the characters interact. I just didn't openly find it as enjoyable as the last one was, even though I still thought it was quality. So one of the things I really enjoy is going to shock everybody considering what we do as a hobby. But the thing I really enjoy about a show is when it's water cooler-esque, when it's talkable, when there's things yes. going on about a show that you rattle around in your head, you talk to your friends about. And when Lasso first came back, it really wasn't that for me. I mean, we were doing the pod, but it wasn't something where I was like, oh, man, I have to watch this right away to see like where the plot's going, what's going on, because – they were kind of starting fresh. Uh, it got that way with this episode. Like when this episode was done, like one of the first things I did is like get on a text thread that you're on, like right asking some questions. Because like, like there's a number of like very talkable moments in this episode, whether it be the thing going on with Jamie's transformation or Keely and Shandy or, you know, Rebecca having this sort of bizarre connection with Bex and like kind of seeing herself in Bex or what the hell's going on with Ted, which I specifically want to talk to you about because you had some interesting comments on it on our text thread. Like Mm -hmm. there are a number of things going on with these characters that make this more of a water cooler show than I was expecting in the going into the season and the first couple episodes. And for that, I really appreciated it. As far as the episode itself, it stopped and start. It dragged a little bit. I dare say this. I'm going to, I'm going to hide because I don't want you to just slug me. Might be a little too much soccer. They're doing a Never lot true. of soccer. Never true. <laughs> Never true. Lot, even lot soccer. Not true. Might be a Can't little be. much for me. So that because that kind of messes up the pacing for me. Uh, but overall, what they're doing with with the character and the plots and so it's just it, it's a fascinating show and it's very talkable. I will very much agree with you on there. Where there were several scenes that seemed like they were just intentionally in parallel to each other, just so you can look at them yes. from different angles and different characters' perspectives and. It executed that quite well, and it's going to make for some very fun scenes for us to unpack in terms of how characters are experiencing different things, with uh, experiencing a similar kind of story with different characters and what we're meant to interpret from that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the Lasso Lowdown, and on this podcast, we do a number of segments. We start with Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince Ted that hot tea is not quite as bad as he thinks it is. Then I also will kick it over to Spencer, who will do Biscuits with the Boss. Spencer always brings a sweet treat for us. Last week, very famously, this was talked about. I probably had like a whole, whole bunch of people writing in saying, hey, guys, did you did you realize that Spencer was farming out the segment? I mean, because it, it, it seems like maybe you didn't know that when you posted it. It was kind of interesting how many people wrote in and said, you know, you didn't know that when you posted it. But Spencer farmed out the segment. Spencer farmed out Biscuits with the boss. I have yes. his honor-bound blood oath that he would not do so today, Spencer. I did, not. did you farm the segment out? I literally did the exact thing you told me to do when I told you what I did last time. I stopped at a gas station on the way home. Look at that. What commitment. He stopped at a gas station, ladies I and gentlemen. I stopped at a gas station. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So then we go to recap. Uh, Spencer will lead to recap. Spencer leads to recap every week. And then we will jump to train wreck of the episode. 
Sports Center Top 10, where we will talk about 10, not 9, not 11, not 8, not 12. Only things down. that we really liked about the episode or found interesting or needed more discussion. And we will wrap up with Spencer's. No, we don't do Spencer's relationship advice the episode, do we? Do we life lessons with Ted, which is me? Mm-hmm. I will do life lessons with Ted. That's that's what the segment is. I'm getting I'm getting my wires crossed with another pod we're doing. We're doing Succession. We're reviewing the Succession uh, episodes week by week. Very fascinating to me that Succession and Lasso are going on at the same time. Night Two shows. extremely different shows, extremely different vibes, and we're covering both of them. If you want to listen to our Succession coverage, it's over on a podcast feed called Line of Succession. We're reviewing that every week. Last week, I think Spencer and I did a full three hours on Succession. So if you like oh, Succession guess- Talk and you like hearing me and Spencer Gab, go over to Line of Succession and subscribe to that. We'll be reviewing every single episode of the last season of Succession. This... I'm still doing Google, random Googling every week, trying to figure out if this is the last episode or, or last season or not. It seems like what Jason Sudeikis is saying is in this season, we sort of wrapped up a story, but I can't guarantee you there won't be more of this show or more with these characters going forward. And I think that's what we're going to get for a while. And, and I think that's perfectly fair. If they want to do, you know, a cheers jumping into Frasier or some branching off point with respect to characters or even something that's more closely tied to, you know, a similar storyline in a different place. Fine, but it at least seems that this particular story that they've been telling for three seasons is going to wrap up this season. And that is conclusive enough for me in terms of how to interpret these episodes going forward. Spencer loves that. He loves a story ending. He likes when a story ends. You know, sometimes I like a story that doesn't even start just because the ending came first. All right, so I will... Actually, let's start with Biscuits with the Boss. What do you you have with Biscuits with the Boss this week? Following your advice, I decided I was just going to go to a gas station, look at what is usually that massive wall of candy options that they've got available. Hell yeah. And pick what just felt most comfortable and reliable among the various choices that were there. A comfortable, reliable show like Ted Lasso is. And for me, it may not be, it may not always be the bar that I'm going to love the most, but for me, the most standard and reliable, just a Snickers. Snickers is a good, solid, know what you're going to get, excellent candy bar. I have a question for you about the Snickers. Do you feel like the Snickers experience is cheapened by knowing that the Milky Way is simply a Snickers without nuts and that the Three Musketeers is simply a Milky Way without caramel, that they really just sort of give you the production line of the Snickers in the candy aisle? I feel like I feel like with the Snickers, you're getting all of them. Like, you know, if you'd like to opt out of one of the ingredients that makes the Snickers so great, you've got the lesser equivalents here right next to them. Please pick. Pick your, pick your poison. So this is a this is a wonderfully um, sort of I'm going to say what's the word L- lazy? Did you do late it lazy when you pick a Snickers? I don't know what it is. It's it's not it's it's not thought not out detailed. But I will say this: I do fucking love a Snickers. I cannot be mad at a Snickers. It's so fucking good, and it's the only candy bar that's like universally available where I live that will substitute for a meal. Every other candy bar, I would never consider doing such a thing. But if like I'm, I'm out on lunch and I need some lunch, I can do a Snickers for lunch. Snickers is a solid replacement. You I mean, unless somebody's like literally allergic to nuts, Snickers usually ranks in pretty much everybody's top five in terms of like various options you can get on Halloween. I mean, God bless you. If you had one of those wonderful houses on your Halloween trips as a kid that actually gave full size Snickers, that is a person that has been truly, well, they're a great person to add to humanity. All right, let's go to Tea Time with Lee. So here's the thing. Here's what I did about Tea Time with Lee this week. So our Ted is hurting. 
clearly. And he's hurting in a lot of different ways. More than he thinks. We've shown ne- straight up. I don't think we've ever seen Ted as low as he is. And we've seen him doing panic attacks. We've seen him, you know, drinking his face off and stuff. But like what's what's getting me and what makes me think Ted might be in maybe some stage of depression, maybe, is that every part of his life he's disengaging from. And I know you'll talk more about this later. So I wanted to lift up our guy, Ted, because we know Ted listens to the podcast. I, I could not give him hot tea this week. I know he doesn't like hot tea. I just can't do it. Our guy's backed in a corner. He's not doing well. I decided I will give him cold iced tea this week because we know that's what he likes. So my cold iced tea that I drink is Lipton. I am a basic bitch. I just go get Lipton. I make Lipton iced tea. It's super easy, but sweet, I'm not sweet tea or just regular iced tea. I, well, you know, this, I got it. Got to keep the body right, Spencer. I do. Uh, I do Splenda in my iced tea, but yeah, I do. I do the zero calorie. Uh, but yeah, I do. I do like it. Like do like it sweet. But I didn't want to do Lipton because that's kind of boring. So I did some research into what is a popular cold brewed iced tea in the UK. If you're in the UK and you say I'd like some iced tea, what is something you could conceivably get? Well, one of the things they like to do is they like to flavor their iced tea. They don't just do like this sort of basic sweet. First off, you're not going to get sweet, but you, you, the basic sort of black tea. So what I found that's pretty popular in UK and the grocery stores is Twinnings of London, cold brewed iced tea, mint. And it brews in cold water, so you don't have to heat the water up. You don't have to boil the water. It will brew in – the packets will brew in cold water, and you get a mint-flavored green tea that is iced. So that that's kind of popular. That's kind of what they do over there when they're doing – like iced teas, they like to do iced green teas. They like to do iced black teas that have different flavors. So a lot of different interesting things. They're not just dumping sugar into it. So there you go. That's what I wanted to give our guy Ted this week because I don't think Ted's doing that well. I think we have a lot of evidence to indicate that Ted is, as you said, kind of at the one of the lowest moments we've seen him. And it's very much as you said. It's not that he's not that he's obviously you know distraught. Not that he's screaming to the ra- screaming to the raptors. It's that he's not feeling much of anything and not connecting with those around him. And even his one brief foray to do so leaves him rattled for the rest of the episode. This isn't Ted in a great state. I completely agree. So that's why Ted finally, after two and almost a half seasons of this podcast, I actually finally gave Ted some iced tea. I think, Spencer, that's our beginning segments. I think we're probably ready for the recap. This is episode four. It's titled Big Week. Mm-hmm. It's titled Big Week. I won't bury the lead because this is the big first matchup, I think, of the season yep. between our guys, AFC Richmond and West Ham and Nate and Rupert or Mr. What is Mr. His Mr. Mannion. Mr. Mannion that he, he likes to, to, to flip back and forth. So there you go. That's the setup, Spencer. I'm going to hand it off to you for the recap. Well, like all good things should, we start at 4 a.m. When was the last time you did something at 4 a.m.? I'm curious. You are a guy that loves his sleep. I do love to sleep. I don't know why that's a thing. You know, like we 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 it we have to. It's a it's a thing humans have to do. Rumor, I don't know. Why, I don't know. True. I don't know why that's a thing. Like like I like <laughs> <laughs> like I like soda or something. It's like you. Oh, you like to. We all like to sleep, Spencer. Uh, I would say 4 a.m. The last time I did something at 4 a.m. is when I went to. 
Los Angeles and had to catch a 6 a.m. flight. So I had to be up at 4 a.m. Not, not quite a, not quite a red eye, but might as well be one. I know the last time you did something at 4 a.m., I believe it was a couple days ago this week because I got a text message from you. Or no, maybe it was an email. I got some communication from you at like 4, 10 in the morning. I had three days this week I was up at 3 a.m., two of which I was at the office by 4.15. It's been a rough week, man, but I'm here for you. Similar, similar experience for Jamie is where at, at 4 a.m. in the morning, there is a knock on his door as training has started just the way Roy said it would. Two, I'd say Jamie's groggy surprise that Roy wasn't kidding. Uh, they're going to get a third workout in with headlamps on or else Roy is going to start flicking Jamie's balls. Jamie, fully Donald ducking it, wanders off to get dressed. I thought you were joking. How is that a joke? Because it's 4 a.m. We start at 4, so you can do three workouts a day instead of two. Woo! Makes perfect sense to me. And by the end of the episode, it will to Jamie, too. Meanwhile, Sassy Smurf and Marlboro Man are parting after an evening together. Seems like they do this basically once a year. As we see from text messages between Ted and various other people, they may only actually interact once a year, but it seems like they enjoy themselves. Uh, Ted, looking kind of uncomfortable, what would you describe a Ted's expression that's on his face here? Is he, like, nervous about what he's about to suggest, nervous about the whole situation? He doesn't look like he's fully at ease in his own skin during this scene, even before he says a word. I don't know. He he does strike me as somebody who, who was he – he wasn't, like, a nervous Nelly asking her for a date. I think he was more – he was just uncomfortable with the situation because he wants more. Mm-hmm. So he was looking at her with a sort of like longing that is not standard for him with Sassy. I think he was kind of he was flipping into he you know starting to visualize a different sort of relationship with her. And he all of a sudden when you when you go down that road when you start thinking that way, mm-hmm. all of a sudden what he has now, which a lot of people would say is pretty great. Um, Simultaneous orgasms are. A lot of people wouldn't complain about that. Uh, he all of a sudden that's not that's not that appealing anymore because he's he's already mentally gone down the path of something else. And like you said, he asks her. Great things are. Can we go on an actual date? Maybe. No. She straight up laughs at the idea. Just no, you're a mess. That obviously they can't date because of that, as compared to her slight disarray after several years being farther down the path than he is. God no. Uh, but she prefers to keep this relationship very 2011. Proper friends with benefits, as apparently so many films that year were, were, were want to portray. Uh, cool and breezy, which I love that Ted then chimes in and responds to that. Not yeah, like Arab an Arab Spring. Spring. That is a del- There's a lot of lines in this episode that are really quick and surprisingly dark, and that one I think ranks. Okay, let's pause for a second. Do you ha- – do you when you're traveling – you're you're about. Do you do you use Uber or Lyft very often? I use uh, Lyft for bits exclusively, but yeah. Okay. I do. What's your Lyft rating? I can't actually check. One second. Do you, do okay. you know yours offhand? I do know mine. Mine's a five, but I I don't I haven't I maybe have had fifteen like ratings on Lyft, and I've gotten I've gotten fives each time. Most of the time because I'm a pretty good tipper. I think is is the reason. But she talks about being a three point nine, which seems pretty low. And Ted cringes at that, and she goes, "Well, fuck you. What are you?" And of course, Ted's a five. I mean, my God, what? There is no more perfect guy to be a five on one of these apps than Ted. Well, we've got something all in common with Ted then too, because I'm also a five on the Lyft app. Look at you. you. Well, you're neat. You're tidy. You say please and thank you. And you do offer to drive sometimes and the driver gets sleepy. I have actually offered to drive before. Yes. Which he explained that, no, that's not an option. Uh, 
But apparently Sassy has done horrible things that you and I have never pondered to get down to. What, what would you say? It was a 3.9? 3.9. You know, when her, when her, uh, just, you know, because I do know Sassy. When her ex got remarried, she drank a bottle of red wine through a straw and told the Uber driver she loved him. I would think that would get you a higher rating, but apparently not. Uh, well, you know, vomiting like it's the, vomiting like it's the shining coming out of the elevator probably doesn't help things either. Though I think she said she made it out of the car before that happened. But drunk and disorderly, one can see how certain drivers might be offended. Uh, so they discuss that Sassy, Sassy heads out for her own Uber, wishing Ted luck against West Ham and Rupert's shriveled raisin pouch. He calls a nutsack. You notice when she tra- when she transitions to good luck in the game, he does not want to talk about it. He's not interested. Every single time someone mentions the game, someone mentions good luck, someone asks, you know, I need you to tell me that we're going to win, Ted says nothing in response. Not even what he was doing a couple episodes ago where he was saying non-committal, oh, you know, we'll do the best we can, or, well, you know, winning's not everything. None of that. He just doesn't even interact with the question or with the topic. This is nothing compared to the Ted Lasso season one that was energized about winning games, even if he said it wasn't their objective, even if Beard had to take him to task for it being more important. He still was engaged with that because that's part about being a coach. Now we get no emotion from him whatsoever on the topic of the team's success when it comes to this game or even maybe in general. I think you're right. At first, they slow played me in the episode because at first I thought, like, here, so... I'm married, happily married. I hope I never ask another person to go on a date with me again in my life. It's a terribly awkward thing. Mm -hmm. But when I did do that, if someone gave me what Sassy just gave me. You'd be kind of down. She could have followed up with, but I do have $500 million cash to give you. And I still would have been like, yeah, well, you know, how about a fucking I don't give a fuck. Uh, Huh? Like I would have been in a foul mood. So I thought that's what it was, but I don't. I think you're right. I think it's as the episode plays out. It's more connect- it's it's deeper than that. Like he's he's not engaged at his job. He's not. He he certainly isn't facing the sit the re- the situation with Nate and like how this really made him feel and what's in front of him. He seems to just be stiff arming the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He, he is a man that is just kind of coasting along. He, we'll see it at many moments. This is just the first of several. Uh, meanwhile, in a park, uh, Jamie is training. Uh, Roy seems uh, to lounge comfortably uh, on a bench. Uh, 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 Roy's kind of curious about the whole Donald ducking thing, which if people aren't familiar with the term, that's where you sleep with the top but not a bottom. Um, and Jamie explains that, well, you know, sometimes he gets that because he gets cold upstairs and hot downstairs, which Roy just accepts. And I'm looking yeah. at this going, I understand how that could be a thing. I can also say I don't think I've ever literally felt that. But good to know that some people feel like that in the world. Interesting, man. If I don't sleep with a shirt on, my shoulders get cold. And it could be a hot room. For some reason, my shoulders, it's just the top of my shoulders will get cold. Like I just need, like, so I can't sleep with like a tank top or something. It's got to be like a real shirt. I don't know why that's the case. Some sort of sensory thing. It may be in the deepest parts of winter where the heater isn't working. I'll put on a t-shirt. But otherwise, no. It feels constraining and I start to get too hot. Hmm. Uh Roy accepts Jamie's explanation. Jamie promptly throws up. Roy approves, and we head into the theme. Yeah, might be all that you get. In Keeley's office. Yeah. Tradition. Rebecca is stewing on Rupert's fake largesse, wishing Richmond well, uh, while Keeley also wishes Shandy well with her new banter promo idea. Important data point. We'll come back to this. Oh. 
Keeley is effectively given Shandy kind of free run to run with what does seem like a reasonable idea, but one that she's letting her do without any measure of oversight, and as we see later, apparently control over client property. We'll see how that plays out. I, I gotta, so I think the mistake for Keeley is right here. I don't think it's later because we spent an entire season learning about what fuck banter is. Banter is this concept that you are going to be anonymously interacting with somebody so that you can learn their personality. You can start to care about who they are and not how they look, what they do for a living, blah, 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 blah. The whole idea of like, well, behind mystery door number three could be a professional soccer player flies in the face of the entire point of the app. So right here with this idea of the anonymous man, the anonymous man you're bantering with could be a professional footballer should have been tossed to begin with. This is already pushing to the limit what banter is meant to stand for. I don't think it's breaking it, but by the end, we take what is already the full limit of the rubber band and just break it entirely with what Shandy pulls. But I agree with you. That's a good point. This is already very much starting to cross the line of what banter's values are meant to represent or what people are supposed to be signing on to banter for. Yeah, this would be like Match.com being like, well, you never know. You could have a casual hookup after the first date on Match.com. It's like, well, no, you spent the last 15 years telling us Match.com is for finding love and it's not for fast hookup. It's not swipe right, swipe left. Like, you you can't just kill the branding in one fell swoop because you want to get subscribers like – Extra fast before 5 p.m. Random story of a company commenting that I don't think this is this is in line with our brand. You ever heard before that a porn company tried to uh, rent out Virgin Galactic space uh, commercial spacecraft so as to film a porn scene while in space? You know, that one did not cross my Google News feed. Uh, to which Virgin responded, we feel it would go against our brand name if we signed on for such a, pro- such a, pro- such a program. Making a joke on the fact they're Virgin, Virgin. Galactic. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, we can't. We're virgin. Yeah, that's that's good. That's a strange one. Yeah, I that this man, Shandy. It, it there's a lot of this that's going wrong. Me. Not not only in terms of necessarily approving the program, which presumably the client also approved, but who knows? It seems like Achilles got a lot of independent independent um, authority to work with here. But the fact that she doesn't provide any measure of oversight over what Shandy does when she's running this is way too quick in terms of giving Shandy that kind of carte blanche. You're inviting problems there with someone that you already know doesn't have a full understanding of what the requirements of their position and the job and their industry are. Okay, we got to pause here because I don't want half our audience thinking we're just piling on the new female character. Shandy seems eager. She seems to work hard. And she does seem to have a mind for... How can I get quick publicity? How can I get things viral? There is probably a particular market she should be working in. I'm just not sure it's Keeley's company, considering what Keeley is trying to, at least what we know about her interactions with banter. I actually don't have any particular problem with Shandy. I mean, she, there's some aspects of her that rub me wrong with her personality, but I don't blame her necessarily, at least not, at least not primarily, for what happens here. It's Keeley. Keeley. I do too. Keely's new the boss. boss who gave her this authority, and if she hasn't Jeez. set clear limits with this employee, that's her problem. New boss, it's hard. Um, while they, we very much summarized what the new banter program is. Keely wishes Shandy well. She heads on off. Uh, all Wait the players except Sam, except Sam, which is an interesting way of referring to that, have signed up to help out with respect to this. But you were about to say something. Well, that was going to be my question. It seems like uh, there was there's an 
an interjection of a character we haven't seen all episode. Who? Oh, Rebecca. How, hey, Spencer, how's Rebecca look this episode? Quite nice. Quite nice indeed. Quite nice, huh? Interesting. Hat knows. So she is the one that jumps in and goes, oh, it's like it's a Kyle and Danny or, yeah, you know, it's even Sam. like, you know, Sam, maybe. maybe. Sam. Did Sam. You ca- I paused it because I was doing my notes, right? I paused the look that Keely shot her when she said Sam. Mm-hmm. God, the actress who plays Keely, fucking fastball. I'm going to look her name up so people don't yell at me. But um, real fastball. So, something Temple, right? Uh, Juno Temple. Yeah. Um, hold on. Everything all right? Yeah, keep going. Okay. Uh, well, they there's a weird ambiguity where they say that well everybody except Sam has signed up for it. Whether that means that Sam's with somebody or Sam doesn't is just has a bit of an issue with banter now after his relationship with Rebecca. Who can say? But he's not in for this. Uh, Barbara enters and asks if she can get two tickets for the Richmond West Ham match that for this weekend um, for yeah, her and for Jack. Jack Danvers. Jack Danvers, the head of the VC that funded your company, Keely, how do you not know this shit? It's like, Keely, come on. These are the things that are going to annoy Barbara. You can do this up. You can put together this information just available on a little card you carry with you, and it will massively improve your relationship with Barbara going forward. Rebecca swoops in to defuse that awkwardness and immediately offers a couple seats in her suite, to which Barbara immediately starts gushing at a level we've never seen before. Uh, she also does the same thing with Jack later. Maybe she just likes to gush when it comes to women in a professional and higher status business position than she is. Or at all. Who knows? But she is at as an 11 as we've ever seen Barbara with respect to Rebecca from this point of the episode going forward. Yep. Um, Ed Richmond, though, the coach is talking strategy, trying to play mind games with Nate on the assumption that he will be playing mind games with them. As they end up, so we got to stop thinking like Nate and start thinking like Nate would think we would think if Nate were thinking like us. And then we do the last thing that Nate, thinking like us, thinking like Nate, thinking like us, would ever expect us to do. Higgins is listening through this insanity. Okay, okay. Uh, one question. Would Zava do it? Yeah, this is the problem here is that they're playing the to go with is that, okay, well, we can't do the false nine because that's Nate's plan. But and they then they with, circle all around to a false nine. <laughs> to, to which, as you said, Higgins points out, so Zava's going to be playing back with everybody else. Have you talked with Zava about that? To which Roy immediately goes, okay, that's fucking No way. Punches no way that's going to happen. Higgy Bottoms! Uh, Ted walks in, having not participated in that strategy discussion at all or afterwards, more on that later, and the room starts kind of finger-pointing with who has the most fears and is, you know, breaking under the stress of Kevin. Whoa, whoa, Nate whoa, again. whoa. Y'all point more fingers and Ganesha giving directions. Now, look, you fellas need to calm down and just key us. Keep it simple, smarty pants. You can't even say stupid. This is Ted we're talking about here. <laughs> uh, that y'all are pointing figure, more fingers like Ganesha giving directions. I had to stop the episode. It's like, that's brilliant. That is just brilliant. I, why have I never heard that before? It's a good one. Uh, he focuses them on a different topic. Doesn't want to talk about the game. Heh, look at that. He wants to instead talk about, is he a mess? Mentions uh, Sassy spending the night, to which everyone immediately Ooh. does. No, 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 hush your butts. That ain't the headline. I like the phrase, hush your butts. I'm going to use that one more. Um, what he instead wants to talk about is that he asked her out. She turned him down for dating. And she said the reason why was that he was a mess. Sounds hey. like a case for the Diamond Dogs. Oh, 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 oh. 
and Roy, just like me, is out. Just done. Oh, it's like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, I, oh, I, oh, I was oh. here, and then I wasn't. Goes oh, into oh. his office and closes the door. Diamond uh, dogs are here. Beard, though, diamond dog, loyal that he is, without hesitation, says, yes, Ted, you're a mess. Yep. Primarily because he's treating this game against West Ham and Nate, particularly Nate, like it's not a big deal. Like Nate didn't hurt him. Ted dismisses that. Turns to Higgins like, I asked Higgins' opinion. Do Higgins likewise can't understand why Ted's seemingly indicating he's not at least annoyed at Nate? Further proof that he might be a best. Uh, Beard jumps in again and offers, well, we have a saying in Codependence Anonymous, but uh, Jane makes me go with her. <laughs> One of the funniest quick jokes in the episode. I was laughing my ass off on that. Yeah, I was saying it Codependence Anonymous. Jane makes me go with her. Oh, God. Uh, funny. Again. She's not a realistic character. They've never tried. Beard, when they focus on him, isn't a realistic character. They've never tried. But there is comedy to be mined there, and they know it. Uh, the statement from uh, Codependence Anonymous, pain is like carbon monoxide. Expressing it to the person who hurts you is like opening a vent, but holding it in will poison you. Ted and me like that line. Like, it's a good line. Uh, but he, Do you he, agree with that, by the way, just in life? That expressing pain to other people is important? That where, where you have been hurt by them? The, well, the, the, just the line. You don't have to. Yeah, I mean, just what they said. The, the pain is like carbon dioxide expressing it to the person who hurts you. like an event, but the holding it in will poison you. Is that something you sort of prescribe in your life? I, I agree. about that? I, I very much think that if, if someone has hurt you and you feel that, then not telling the other person that in whatever polite or whatever constructed manner you want to or whatever else is just inviting further problems for you later. I tend to stew when I can't express how I feel. And I think that plays out very much for me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like... So you got to get over the resentment somehow. Yes. But I don't know that necessarily talking to the person is always the right way to do it. Like in relationships, like Ted talking to Michelle is the right move because as Ted points out, he has to keep a relationship with her. He has to keep talking to her. They're raising a kid together. Like he can't just get rid of her. But like if you have – like if if they didn't have a kid together and they'd been broken up for a year and a half and Ted was still angry, I'm not sure that going back to her and saying, hey, here's all the things I'm upset about is like – opening event like if you have carbon monoxide right like it depends on if it's still hurting you yeah but there's other ways to get rid of resentments than just going directly to the person you're mad at and talking to them about it right like so i don't know i think it's i think it's situational is what i'm I'm driving at but a lot of the times this is true but there 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 probably are times where it's like probably not worth it to go back to the person and there's probably other ways to move on If, if you can find a bit of relationship advice or particularly a relationship rule that is universally true for all people on all occasions please tell it to me sir i don't think i've ever heard it before I think this one is definitely more true than it's not and can help people when they apply it. Well, that was really dismissive. I don't think that that, I don't think that that, like, there probably is some universal ones, but I'm just saying, like, I I don't know that, like, I'm not sure for Ted this is always the right move. It was with Michelle, but um, his, his aversion to confrontation and his, how much he really hates addressing his anger i'm not sure that i would always send ted directly to the person who hurt him and say well you're not going to get over it unless you talk to this person well i I think that there's there's a foundational problem with ted that needs to be addressed before we even get to that point of where ted just doesn't doesn't even necessarily realize or think about that people have hurt him he doesn't even want to accept that there is pain yeah you almost need to accept that point before he then can realize what's the productive ways to deal with it well that's certainly true that is a hundred percent true he's got to address the fact that he actually yeah how he's actually feeling so, yeah, I, I think, like, Beard's skipping a couple steps when it comes to things that work for Ted. We see Ted eventually reach that point in this episode, but I feel like he has to have some moments of realization to even realize that there's a problem first. Uh, Ted, Fair again, enough. just 
dismisses the idea that Nate hurt him. Just doesn't, doesn't all seem to think that that's the case. Roy calls bullshit, and I would like to, too. We could talk more about that later. Uh, and the moment Roy chimes in, the others immediately just try to tempt him dog-style to come back and join the Diamond Dogs. To no I know, success I know. whatsoever. Uh, players, meanwhile, are watching commentary in the pending game, which is Zava, Zava, Zon, and other people point out later, not a good idea, don't do that. It doesn't seem like it's a good call. The announcers, though, seem pretty split between whether the tactical human of Nate or the skill of Zava will prevail. Players rally together, dismiss the importance of these, talking heads. They need to focus on what their own obligations are, what work they need to do. Zaba agrees and thanks what he refers to as Zoro for his words. Zo, as he pronounces it, corrects him, to which Zaba asks him, why do you pronounce it that way? Zo defers, and Zaba offers, my friend, you can be whoever you want to be. I let all of my children name themselves once they reach the age of seven. That is why my eldest is called Smingus Dingus. Hmm. Dream big. And you may never wake up. I like that even the room of just complete Zava Fixnados hears that last line and goes, all right, returning to something else for a second. Like, even that one is even like, okay, this guy is out there. The team's confused, but they rally around, as they often have done before, the Believe poster. With even Jamie chiming in to refocus them. Isaac jumps up, slaps the poster, comes down to rally the team, and it promptly splits in two. Now, this is interesting to me, because I had assumed that just off-camera, they had addressed the fact that Nate had done this. But it is true that we only ever saw Ted see it, realize what had happened, and now we are seeing, presumably, fix it without telling anybody that it happened. Is that an accurate read on the situation? Yeah, it seems that Ted covered it up. He covered up the crime for, for Nate. Um, it's cover up that gets you, not the crime, right? Nixon. Hey, I want to come back to a, a second, um, back to a, a situation that or a comment that Colin said, there was, there's talk of Zava. And I think someone goes, that's my guy. Um, and Colin chimes in. Colin says, you can't have him. He's mine. And that draws a look from Trent. And I think that that was uh, theory time, theory mm-hmm. time with Lee. Um, I asked you the question pointedly. Do you think that Trent will out Colin in his book? And you said, no, that doesn't seem like something he'll want to do. That doesn't seem like aligned with his current version of himself, right? Like who knows what the interaction that the, 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 the Trent that was calling like 17 year old Roy, a piece of shit, like who knows he might've done it, but this current Trent probably wouldn't. I agree with you on that. I think this is where this thread is going to like sort of unspool, right? Is Trent's going to go to Colin and be like, what are you doing making all these like homophobic jokes, like these cover up jokes? Like, I think that's going to bother him enough that he's going to force the issue with Colin. I think that's very possible. It, it is notable that they focused in on Trent with respect to that. And I'm waiting for. He didn't what, like the joke, you could tell. I'm waiting for what else. I don't know if confrontation is the right word, but the conversation between the two characters and what Trent knows and what Colin has been playing with with respect to his team. Do we know if Trent's gay? I don't want to assume that he is, but I've always kind of got a vibe from him that he is. Have you had a similar vibe with respect to the character? I have. I don't think they've told us, and I kind of have. I, 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 I kind of I sort of hope he is, so that he can have this type of conversation with Collins. Like, hey, meeting stay, in the you know, I mean, stay, stay in the stay in the closet, but you know, like let, maybe maybe like hang tight on the jokes because you could. I, I don't. Maybe I read too much into it to seem like Trent really didn't like that. It's interesting. Uh, do you also agree with me that Ted, you think you did, that Ted just fixed the belief poster and didn't tell him? He covered it. up. Watergate style. 
Perhaps he is doing that with respect to other aspects of his relationship with Nate. We what? Will, we will consider more later. Uh, Isaac, having this ha- this is hilarious, this reaction of Isaac, seeing what happened, considering the possibility that maybe he acquired the ability to chop things in half, test this by karate chopping Jamie. To which Jamie immediately points out, yeah, what if you had developed that? Sorry, bro, didn't think it through. So it's a remarkably like honest little conversation between two characters that were... What happened? Flunk. Wait, wait, wait. What if you actually had it? Wouldn't I be in half now? Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. But brain was off right then. Uh, the team... Can I from- nominate Isaac for, like, maybe pound for pound best character? Like, And when I say pound for pound, I mean, like, the number of minutes he gets on screen and the most entertained I am. I mean, his scenes are always fire to me. He's among the best realized secondary characters. It's like, you know, yeah. for the most of the rest of the team, we've got little tidbits on him. Isaac's like a proper character, regardless of the screen time he has. And we've just seen that he just continued to grow over time. Team realized their horror, someone ripped the sign. Everyone's oh. freaking out. Trent is intensely curious and also staring off at something, which we realize later is a security camera to go. But I can find out more with that. Uh... Nate, meanwhile, is having another con- awkward conversation with the waitress at that one restaurant he wanted to take his parents to that one time. Jade. Uh, trying to chatter up and brag about his new job. Uh, what would you s- describe her reaction to this uh, effort is? So I think this is I know I'm dropping like just a lot of theories here, but I think that where they're going with this, I don't think that Jade is an asshole. I don't think that Jade dislikes Nate. But I do think that she's turned off by ego. And I think she's trying to train him up a little bit. She's trying to get him back between the between the lines, right? Uh, before she's willing to engage with him on a personal level. Like, I think she's giving him the negative feedback about this, like, over-the-top ego that he currently has in an effort to get him to a place where she can actually engage with him. Like... I see – once they – because we know they're going to redeem Nate. I think once they redeem Nate, he's going to end up with Jade. But she's not going to engage with him on a personal level until he stops going in there like Mr. Big Shit. It's true. It could very much be an arc. It may also just be that she is a, in the service industry and is just really fed up of people trying to chatter up, which I'm sure a lot of people in the service industry go through. So – Hundred percent true, and that, that in reality, that's probably what it would be. But I, I think in I described. Story, I think I described this show last episode as like Chekhov's gun to the max. Yeah. Like if there's ever a, like a hint that something like like Trent looking up at the ceiling that was going to mean something, they've had too many interactions with Nate and Jade for it to just be, hey Nate, maybe you don't hit on the waitress. Very possible. The show loves to put, pull out cards like that. Uh, manager, though, is much more interested uh, celebrating Nate's presence, encouraging him about the game, noting how much shit Nate talked about the game and how that affects how he feels about it. He talked about Richmond and how he feels about the game as a result. And gives him the food for free and declares that forever going forward, Nate will eat free here. Except I'll drink. Can't do can't, 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 no, uh, not a worry, given the hour that he's doing this in, that Nate happily accepts the food, appreciates that someone is, you know, recognizing him the way that Nate lives and feeds on, uh, and then, as awkwardly as possible, exits the room. While, and maybe this is in furtherance to your theory, then the waitress stares after him for a bit as he goes. And then she sort of, like, swings around, almost, like, unhappy. I, I mean, your, your theory I, of, like, well, maybe she just doesn't want somebody hitting on him is, like, that's obviously true, right? But it's like I, there's just no, I just don't think they would allow yeah. that type of thread because it would just be going nowhere. 
I think that everything on the show ends up going somewhere. So I think that she's just like, cause you know, cause he, she even mispronounces his name, which is the thing you do to yeah. kind of deflate somebody a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And she just won't talk to him when he's doing the whole, but ah, got a new big job. You know, it's like really important. She just won't even respond. Like, I, I just think she's trying to get him. She's training him yeah. up, basically. Yeah, I think my theory is, like, if this was a real-world setting, that's what you should default to. But knowing this is a show where everything matters and there's conservation of resources, eh, maybe they're going in a direction that, particularly given the uh, alternative pairing we get at the end of the episode, so there can be some degree of tension about what Nate actually wants and what he needs to do to actually, you know, prove, prove him worthy or make a move on a, on a lady that he's actually interested in. Can we Uncle Spencer to the kids? Can you do that? Can you do the segment, Uncle Spencer to the kids, about talking to people in the service industry? Uh, I'm not. I don't know if I'm the best person to do that, given my general lack of ability to interact with humanity. But I'll try when we get to that point. <laughs> I want to set you up there is for what you've already said, which is yeah. probably don't bother people in the service industry. Like, be, like let them polite, do their jobs. Be friendly, they're not. Let them yeah, work. Yeah, they're not. They're not just there to take like. You know, every guy's, every single guy's best shot all day. Right. It's more, better to look at them as not serving you. They're here to serve your food and, you know, accomplish this particular interaction. Nothing more than that. Leave them be. Uh, Shandy, meanwhile, is doing the banter promos with the players and seems to really love being in charge. Offering each player the opportunity to offer their chat-up line in the semi-anonymous camera mode uh, that they're presently filming in. Uh... Uh, Danny's talking to the camera like it's his oldest friend, Javier, who is turning 108 next week. I love that, that little quick joke with respect to that, of his old, what his oldest friend meant. Uh, saying, you may not know who I am, but I think the most beautiful parts of a woman are their flaws. I get where he's coming from, and I will say imperfections are lovely, particularly with someone you're already in love with. Flaws may be going a little bit far with it, but Danny, you do you. Uh, Van Damme, who is now calling himself that because Zava told him he could be whoever he wants and he likes Jean-Claude Van Damme, so fuck it, he's Van Damme now, uh, says, you don't know who I am, but I'm looking for someone who likes short walks on the beach so we can spend some more time, you know, to which even all the players in the room are like, just dude, Jesus, that's the best you got? Okay, we'll see where it goes. Uh, Jamie, meanwhile, sits down and we get a very interesting scene, starting off with Shandy commenting how hot he is. And then Keely goes through a series of realizations of how far Jamie has gone since they dated. Particularly, she watches his polite and friendly interactions with the staff. She comments that he's so cocky. Maybe he kind of has to be at this level of play that you know, he only thinks about himself. At least he used to. He's politely interacting with another person. But he's not accountable for his actions, what they do to others. Then again, sees him do so right there. He's getting better at making apologies. Still, he only thinks with his dick. But he hasn't dated anyone else. It's like, it's that series of unlocking of where all of the foundational assumptions she has about him are now no longer proving true from direct observation. Sir, what does this mean? What is the internet pondering? What are we pondering as a result of this scene that the show has now teased out and their love of making every scene relevant to something? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think that that's, I, I would, you know, I, doing the thing I said not to do with the succession pod, which is to throw it right back on you. But I, I am interested to hear like what you, because the fundamental question here is, are they going to pursue a Keely Jamie relationship part two Again, based yeah. on this? And if they do, and this is really the end of the story, that's likely who Keely ends up with, right? And it would be coming full circle. She started with Jamie. There's a lot of people who probably have a real big problem with that because they like the idea of Keely and Roy. But I also think it's not past the show 
to show you a couple that you like, but also show you a healthy breakup and a healthy move on. That seems like something very much in the wheelhouse of this show. I also think the show has made a hell of a statement about what the importances of self-improvement are and to what degree a person can, you know, change their outlook, change their perspective, alter how they interact with others. You know, what what a profound effect that can have upon them. And Jamie's the poster child of that. So if Keely gets back with him, not because she's just lusting after him and always has, but because she really likes the person he's now grown to be, I think that could be a message within the keeping of the show. I'm not committed to it. But this is the show very much wanting to tease the concept to you. Maybe just to see how fans react. All this stuff is already written. They're committed. But this is the most... They've had various hints previously of Jamie, like, flirting with Keeley, and they explicitly said that was not okay. This is the first moment ahead of where Keeley is seemingly expressing some manner, manner of not necessarily interest, but unlocked perspective on Jamie that she didn't have before. They made a point of telling us that Roy broke up with her, yes. right? So if she moves on to date somebody that Roy knows or really fucking anybody, they kind of set us back in our seat on that. Like it's her fucking right. She can do that. Roy's sure. the one who decided to move on. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a big fan of like this concept in, in shows. I've never really seen this happen in, in real life, to be honest with you, but you know, the earning of someone, right? Mm. Like if somebody is really worthy of your love and affection, the earning of them and in, in trying to pursue them, to date them. And Jay, you know, Jamie didn't go through all this to date Keely. I don't think, but I do think he, but I do think in the process of it, he has earned her right. Like in that sort of like respect. And that's the spin on it. I like of where if he'd done all this just to get her, I wouldn't be as into it, but if it's just like that, that he, he has actively just worked to improve himself. And as a result of that focus, that reason, independent of any particular motivation for Keeley, that she now is, you know, more interested in the person that he is, the, you know, the, having corrected a lot of the problems she had with her relationship, that feels earned. That feels merited. That feels interesting. It'll be very curious to see how Jamie reacts to this, though, given his diehard loyalty to Roy and many moments previously of saying that I'm not interested in getting in the middle of, of, of what you guys have or interfering with it. I believe him in that regard. Well, so they can, don't have anything anymore. That's the thing. And I, I could see Roy telling Jamie, yeah, it's giving him the green light. I mean, how, who is Roy to hold that up? It is always, it goes back to like the thing, like whenever I have like people I know in my life who are like chasing a girl, mm-hmm. girl's not interested. And they're like, what can I do? I'm like, well, begging, asking the same question worded differently over and over again. None of those things work. Here's the best thing you can do. Go fucking live a life. Go get interest, have hobbies, go do well at your job, take pride in what you do, like dress well, like just go be awesome. Like go live your life. And that's the best way to be independently attractive. And and, and in a weird way, that's kind of what Jamie's done here, right? Like that's exactly what he's done to make himself way more, I would think, way more uh, desirable. Yeah, it's it's also a hell of a method of getting generally happier in life, which also can improve your relationship prospects too. Okay, are we the final vote? Are you okay? Let's 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 phrase it this way: If they do go the route Keely Jamie, and that's how they end the series, are you mad? You okay with it? I the more I think about it, the more I'd be okay with it. I think that I think it can be I think it can be sold well and be believable in a way that some other some other options wouldn't be. I'd be okay with it too. In the coach's office, Trent has uncovered the security camera footage. Do all locker rooms have security cameras? I wasn't sure about that. I think that is wildly unrealistic. And in America, that would be 
uh, well, if I mean, I guess maybe not for. I don't know. It's a, it's I, a I certainly call, know. It's it? a, I certainly know putting a video camera in a place where people change is illegal in a lot of different types of businesses. Okay. I don't know if it would be in a professional sporting team, but I know, like at a gym, it's illegal to film. Right. I, I can picture that, that if they told the players it's there and they had, you know, built that into their contracts or some waiver or something else and said it's a security mechanism. I can see how it could be approved, but kind of like you, I'm like, that doesn't strike me as perfectly realistic, but I'll go with you on this because it's important to make the scene happen. Yeah. Uh, The security camera footage reveals Nate's, I'll just say, sadly pathetic efforts to tear down the belief sign. Well, I mean, let's let's be fair to Nate. Anybody who's ever tried to climb on an office chair that's got wheels has, has looked a little stupid at times. I wouldn't have recommended the wheelie chair. They got benches right there. Just pull one of those over. It'd be much more secure. But he goes wheelie chair route and it goes about every time I've tried to climb on a wheelie chair kind of experience. Whoop. Down and out. Eventually gets it. He seems almost just manic in terms of how he's acting or whatever else when he goes about this. He clearly is in a bit of a state himself, which everyone else in the room is laughing at. Ted seems to have a certain measure more sympathy for. Maybe it's because he already knew all this happened. Maybe it's because he has a, sim- has a certain kindred spirit for people who are hurt and struggling at a given moments and how they react emotionally to situations. Who can say? But Beard, Roy, they're laughing. Trent's just smiling because he's kind of smug with himself. Ted just looks almost morose as he's watching this, which is interesting in terms of how they unpack it. Yeah, Ted. Ted is like, he's clearly highly, highly empathetic. And he's probably discovered this thing that like, once you kind of discover it and, and you've really internalized it, it's really hard to go back. And that is like when somebody is being an asshole, they're usually more unhappy themselves than they're making you, right? Like people people don't walk around being an asshole because they're having a great day, right? They're They're also like upset having a bad day frustrated whatever the thing is and so they're miserable themselves and once you sort of realize that it's like kind of harder for me anyway to like get really like amped and at 11 when somebody's rude and instead it's like this thing of like man they must be having a rough day to be fucking that terrible and that's that seems to be what ted is doing here it's like of course he's being rude of course he's being rude to the team but he's looking at nate like fuck man i i I hate that he's going through that so and i hate that he's going through that such that he acted out in that way I think it's absolutely Ted's philosophy. I think one of the things he may be going through a certain realization this episode is that having a profound measure of empathy is a wonderful thing. You still do no need to acknowledge when someone does a bad thing or someone gets hurt. A person can be a jerk and a sad jerk and have reasons for being a jerk, but still being a jerk is not a good thing and should still be addressed, particularly when it's addressed directed at you. Uh, True. Beard and Roy want to want to use this tape. They want to weaponize it. They want to make this the team's motivation going into the game so it gets them all fired up to kick some proper West Ham ass. Fry the bacon. Uh, Ted doesn't seem to agree, but as we've talked about, he doesn't say that. He's disengaged. He doesn't exnate. He doesn't say anything about it. He just says, you know, let's call it a night, which is all sorts of mistakes as we see later. That'll play out. Only thing Ted does that just seems like an affirmative decision is that he wisely, according to Beard, dismisses the idea of dating Jane's sister. Probably a safe. That is the right answer. Yeah. Good call. Uh, Nate, meanwhile, is burning the midnight oil. Sorry about the smell. Uh, While Rupert comes in and inquires about how he feels about the game. Nate, who the show, as this scene and several others want to make very clear, feel the show wants us to feel that this character is redeemable. 
Show wants us to feel this character is redeemable this season and maybe in the next few episodes. All right, preach. This is one of, this is one of the seasons that just hammers that home about we have for a while now been building up Nate the asshole, Nate the jerk, Nate the one that's been hurting everyone around him, Nate the one that we pondered would take preach. a multi-arc cycle to ever come back to a place that's redeemable. This episode is built around hammering home that that is a facade. That that is something he has built and constructed around himself to fit into the role that he now feels that he occupies. The role that he feels that he always wanted. That he's got to remold himself to now fit into that new sphere. But it's fake. This is the Nate with the same doubts. He's flailing. He's uncertain about himself. He's constantly second-guessing his own actions and motives. He's regretting the various things he's done before. They're trying to show us a vulnerable Nate so that we care enough, so that we're invested enough, so that we hope enough... That this is a Nate that we still have a shade of remembering can come back to a state that we find tolerable and we can forgive him with respect to. As they set up with the other characters about to what degree they hold a grudge against him so that they can even ponder to what degree they can move past that. I am left to ask. This episode is coming hard on that topic. How do you feel about it? Does it feel like it's coming from a place where you feel it's real? Do you feel that it's earned? That it's accurate from what we've seen of the character? Isn't, I'm it diffi- a fast one. Isn't it difficult when you're doing the recap and you've got an opinion, but you still have to set the table and ask the question, but you like you try because you kind of have to like take a hat off and then put it. I was saying preach, preach, because I wanted you to put the other hat on, which I know you have. Mm-hmm. I just like to say this, Spencer, if you spend two seasons telling me that this cute, beautiful creature is going to be a Jedi and then you stick him with a Jedi, you probably need to have a be with the Jedi for a little for while, a right? It's the same fucking philosophy. You spent two seasons breaking down Nate and making him an asshole and making it, making me dislike him. You can't rebuild him overnight without some fans going, whoop, what the fuck just happened? Like, I feel like it's happening too fast. It It is helping me a bit that the actor who plays Nate is a good actor and does well with expressing this kind of vulnerability. Agreed and the on that. And emotions. Really that good point. helps sell it better. But from a purely story beat standpoint, this episode is, feels like it's a swerve. It's meant to be a look behind the camera, but it becomes jarring just because we haven't had much to set it up. That makes his sense. His name's Nick Muhammad. Yeah, his name's Nick Muhammad. I agree. That that was a really good point I felt like you had there, with, which is that he he's selling it well, but I feel like it's just happening too fast. Like, it, it, Because by the, end of the, by the end of the episode, the way they've paired him with who is a demonstrably evil character, like we just, we just Rupert, know yeah. bad, no coming back from it, Rupert. The only way that you could make him like, fucking sympathetic in 15 minutes is to pair him with, you know, Satan incarnate. And that's basically what they've done. And so by contrast, you feel bad that Nate's having to suffer this guy, but I just think it's happening too fast. And they don't go into what I feel like. uh, I don't, I I feel like they don't go into Nate's biggest sins in terms of how they present them this episode, but we'll go through that. Um, Yeah. Like being rude to people in the service industry and feeling like you're entitled to hit on them when they're at work. That one's not great, and it does reflect what we've seen generally of where he's a consistent jerk to people that he feels like are lower than him, like people that he can punch down on. We've seen it with in terms of how he treated Will back when he was still with Richmond. We've seen it how it, in terms of he treats the players and the trainers. We see how it treats the various staff. Only thing the episode's focused on was what his relationship was with Nate. I feel like there's an, a bigger issue to talk about with respect to all that that we don't see him express any guilt about whatsoever. Or, just to lay it out there, they don't mention once, and we haven't seen it since, Nate leaking Ted's medical information in terms of leaking to the press that Nate, that Ted was having the panic attacks. 
which is the most direct attack he did on Ted. Yelling in his face, ripping up the poster, whatever. That's messed up! And I feel like Ted's never fully processed that, even though he's one of the only people that knows it, other than Trent and maybe Beard, who suspected it. And we don't see ever Nate talk about that again. I hope the show doesn't, put, doesn't bury that one under the rug so it can expedite Nate being redeemed, because that was epically a betrayal in a way that should not be forgotten. Yeah, like, you... I'll, I'll tell the audience, like, I'm not even going to ask you. Like, you, I have never seen you one time even give a flying fuck about class. Like the idea that somebody is like really big and important and you need to like suck up to them or somebody is not like important and therefore you need to shit on them. I've never remotely seen you go into that world. Isn't it bizarre when he goes into that? Like, cause I feel like I don't either. I don't, I, I don't like speak on myself, but like, it's so strange when I'm watching him. I'm like, Oh, he's being rude. Why is he being rude? And it takes me like a second better. to catch up that he thinks he's better than who the, the kit man or the fucking person giving him his drink or whatever. I will say this about Nate though. Nate, you gotta learn to drink a martini. That's fucking embarrassing. We'll get there. We'll get there. Fucking we'll get embarrassing. There, or order your own damn drinks if you don't want to have a martini. That's an option too. But it is, it's just really, it kind of shakes me in the scene where I'm like, what is he doing? And then it, I have to piece together that there's just this bizarre concept of class going on in his head. And to be honest with you, I don't think it's happening for most of the people in his circle, maybe Rupert, but very few other people are, are grading people the way that Nate is doing too. If he's going to be redeemed, that's something that he's got to shake loose, this concept of class. He's up and coming. His role relative to others is important in his mind because it's not something he always had. So now he's got to emphasize it with those around him because he's earned his new stead among the upper crust. Ugh. Uh, Rupert is claiming that Nate, I mean, Nate is, as we, said, we kind of hinted at, he's expressing that he has some regret that he didn't leave Ted in the best of terms and he feels like he owes Ted an apology or something. Rupert, though, claims do. Nate did nothing wrong and that he couldn't be expected to support Ted forever and he has earned his job with West Ham. I had, Agree with couple of those talking, talking past, past each, other. each other. Yes, he's just absolutely. talking. He gave him an answer that had nothing to do with what he said. He goes, "Well, he, well, you don't, you don't have to work for him forever." That's not what Nate said. Nate said, "When he left, he left in a way that well, required an apology." Rupert's answering the question that he wants to answer. Yeah, I know. Rupert's it's, it's, good at that. Yeah, I'm just pointing out that he sucks, which uh, I, I guess maybe goes without saying. <laughs> he dresses like a damn Sith Lord. Every scene we see him in public, <sighs> the guy sucks. Yeah, he does walk around with guards with red robes on. That, that, that did cue me in. <laughs> the show is reaching a point with respect to this character that they're essentially putting him in a black hat. We hey, at question the point for of you. Just, yeah. R Rupert goes in the Jane bucket, right? Where they've got something here. He's not realistic, really, but they've got something here, and they're just going to play on the trope for either comedy or plot or whatever. I agree. Cause I, I, I kind of appreciate that he was a nuanced villain of sorts, like in season one of where he had that charm and whatever else. And that he, what brief interactions we saw were mostly just hostile to Rebecca, given their prior interactions, whatever else. Now they want to make him a villain. It's like you said, he is the num he is the other bad guy of the West Ham team and they need to make him worse because Nate's got to be redeemed. So they're very much dialing up that Rupert's essentially a manifestation of Satan in terms of how he interacts with the world. The temptress. Rupert, Sheev, Palpatine, Mannion. Uh, he suggests that when Nate sees Ted next, he just say hello, look him in the eye, shake his hand, and then beat him. That's not bad advice in terms of what they do on the pitch. And that's what Nate does. But it doesn't mean they shouldn't have a conversation outside of that role, too. Uh, formally cordial, nothing else, is what Rupert's pointing here. Uh, notably... And this is interesting. I'm curious to your thoughts on this. Perhaps based on this conversation, and I'm putting in giant air quotes, the weakness 
that Nate has showed here, uh, or maybe just even the passage of time that you just can't keep this fiction going, when Rupert leaves, Nate says, you know, good night, Rupert. Rupert stops, turns back, and says, Mr. Mannion, and then turns and leaves. He's revoking the first name privileges that he gave Nate back in episode one or two of this season. I am kind of interpreting that as him being put off by what he sees as just Nate not being fully committed, or maybe he's just trying to stand in a more position of power to browbeat Nate where he wants him to be. But I'm curious your thoughts. Why do you think Rupert revoked first name privileges right here? Sometimes we do. So it's, it, it um, no need to, no need to tell me I'm wrong here. Sometimes. So you have a lot more like just pure raw intelligence than I do. So sometimes like when you're watching oh. this stuff, that, that it is not bull. It's true. It's sometimes when you're watching this, you come up, with ideas for things that I'm like, whoa, like I was way more service level. Like I thought, I honestly thought it was just, they were contrast because they do so much contrasting. This episode. They were just contrasting this with when he's in front of people and he goes, Oh, please Rupert. And then behind the scenes, he tells us like, I, I just thought this was a glimpse into how he treats all of his employees, which is I'm not, I'm not really your friend. There's really no warmth. Yeah. In front of people, I, I'll put on a show if it benefits me socially, but I am, I am not your friend and I don't really care about you. Like, and, and I feel like the only reason, the only reason he's having this conversation and it masqueraded as like giving him comfort is because he wants to fucking beat Richmond. It's not because he likes him. And by, by doing the Mr. Mannion at the end, that drives home the fact that like, I'm not doing this because I like you. And then we get that wonderful scene later where he goes, oh, Rupert, please. And I wanted to fucking throw my Diet Coke at the TV. Well, I was so angry at him. I, I think you're, you're accurately hitting what is the nature of the character. Whenever we previously said, no, Nate, call me Rupert. It's a fiction. It is meant to put Nate where he wants to be. It's meant to cater to the desires that, Nate, that Nate's looking for so it, that Nate can accomplish what Rupert wants to benefit Rupert. It's just interesting. He's in, in private. He's no longer feeling the need to maintain that fiction. And that's, it. I mean, for the audience's sake, it's meant to set up the break between the characters that he's, let, that he's letting open the curtains and showing the true Rupert so that Nate can now find a means of realizing what a bastard he is and get away from him. From a practical narrative standpoint, that's why that happened. Yes. From an inner character standpoint, it's interesting to ponder. Uh, Ted is also lingering in the office, though, late at night. And this sets up, I, this is one of the mirrored scenes we talked about. We just saw a scene between Rupert and Nate, owner and coach. Now we're seeing a scene between Ted and Rebecca, same degree of owner and coach. Um, uh, I'd like to disclaimer. I was growling there at Michelle, not Rebecca. Rebecca, actually, wonderful boss moment here, but oh, fuck great. Michelle. It, it's great. And it reminded me, we haven't gotten to see many just Ted-Rebecca moments in like a while. Like we've seen them like, you know, greet each other in their office, but there's always somebody else there. That the level I just, think hmm? – I think I'm sorry that, that I cut you off there. I think that they realized they put us a little too close to the Rebecca Ted relationship thing, and they are they want that out of our system. Pulled it back. Pulled it back. Yeah, they that, don't want us thinking that, that anymore. It d didn't take much though. Fans are already f seizing on this scene and said they're the one true relationship. They're perfect together. I, I can. That's an interesting way of explaining what the writers are trying to do. Is that okay? Okay, we need we need to do like aversion therapy to get people away from that right now. Yeah, we know we're not going there, so let's not let's not set it up to be, you know, you spend six months telling me that Cody Rhodes is the best wrestler in the world and then he like loses for no fucking reason at WrestleMania. You know, something like that where the writing doesn't make any sense. They want to make sure it makes sense. I've been the biggest shipper of those two. I know. But I, 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 I can see I, I'm not. You've, I, you've read the tea leaves. Yeah, it's ah, the tea leaves. I like that mm. one. But he's saying, but yeah, no. 
That it's not happening. Uh, I, well, I want it to, but I don't think it's happening. And I will say this scene does highlight the two of them have a hell of a bond. The two of them have a very close relationship. The two True. are imminently supportive of each other, and whether they end up romantic or not, the two of them need to stay in each other's lives because they're better people for it. Shout out uh, of where. And it, the scene just highlights it because it's in mere contrast to the scene we just saw with Nate and Rupert of where Rupert's trying to browbeat Nate where he is and he's cutting off an emotional connection and advising Nate to not have an emotional connection or a human contact with another person. Meanwhile, Rebecca's trying to create that. Ted's fighting her and Rebecca cuts through the shit to get back to that level so as to help Ted. It's a great contrast between characters and the nature of their relationships. But focus on the details of it. Rebecca's coming down to express that she really wants to win the game, which, as we've talked about, every single damn scene, including this being the first of two with Rebecca, Ted, unlike even within this season, doesn't even say, we'll try. Doesn't even say, winning's not everything. Doesn't even engage at all. He just kinda, sorta, nods. Yep. No connection at all on the subject of games, winning, coaching, perhaps? And again... Uh this was another this was another moment where I felt like I could explain it away by Ted wanting to de-emphasize the game because he thinks that Rebecca obsessing about beating Rupert is potentially unhealthy for her. So I could talk my I could, this was another one where I could talk myself into like Ted had a reason for it, but as the episode continued to play out, I then I then looked in the rear view and I was like, "Wait a second, no, he's just disengaged from everything. This is not I I was talking myself into reasons for it, but he just isn't connecting with job People, emotions, anything right now. And I saw some people online saying, well, that's just not Ted's role as a coach. He doesn't do strategy. And we heard before he doesn't care about wins and losses. It's like, bullshit. He was still in the room. He still tried to contribute even if it wasn't his thing. And pointedly, he still tried to encourage people. He still tried to boost them up. He still tried to give them motivation and the philosophy to prevail, even if winning the game isn't what he views as the ultimate victory. He does not interact with a player this episode, much less offer words of encouragement to a soul other than a brief silent scene, flat, like flash scene of him in front of a whiteboard where he looks almost sad as he's seemingly presenting this or standing next to it. This guy's not engaged at all. And it's telling all of these scenes. You sad. were on it early because like the first like couple scenes of the show of season three, he's de-emphasizing winning to his own son after the end of season two, where he was like, he absolutely emphasized winning to Rebecca. And so there was, there was something that happened there. There was a flip and he's still in the middle of that. Yeah. And it's progressed even farther from there because at least he'd have the conversation with his son. He can't even interact with people that are talking about it now. Yeah. Uh, Ted, again, just the way he did back with the, with the, with the assistant coaches, he turns the conversation from the game back to sassy and relationships. Cause that's where his head is. At. Hey, am I a mess? Rebecca has already heard the girl talk. Uh, and is very much in agreement that Sassy is usually right about such things. How would uh, you, uh, uh, oh, girl talk. Yeah, girl talk indeed. Uh, Ted tries to dismiss that, you know, everything's all right. But Rebecca, in an absolutely lovely callback moment, and I, I, I like when shows trust you to, to remember, or at least remember when they do it. She just says, Oklahoma. Talk to, talk to folks through it who forgot it. Oklahoma was a code phrase that Ted used to use with uh, Michelle that basically, I think it was actually their therapist recommended it to, or at least they agreed, agreed about between themselves, of where Ted, who's not great at expressing how he actually feels or has been hurt, and Michelle has her own issues with that, they worked out this phrase of where if you want someone to just speak honestly and cut through the crap or cut through the cover, you just say Oklahoma, and they got to express how they honestly feel. He's told Rebecca about this before. Rebecca invokes it here. 
Ted acknowledges, and we get a half like little ghost of a smile from him that someone kind of forced the way forced him on this point. And he offers that size and admits that he's a work in progress, which is the most acknowledgement we got from him yet that, yeah, I'm not in a good place. Uh, he notes, though, that Rebecca has already won against Rupert by getting him out of her life, which Rebecca beamingly smiles about, too. Rebecca clearly appreciates that, asks Ted again to beat him. Ted again says not a word in response and just wishes her a good night. Players and the main characters, though, are arriving at the game against West Ham, with Keeley decidedly wanting to look nice for Jack, who she still at this point assumes is a woman. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, Keeley, also needing to go to the bathroom, this is another callback, invokes a line Rebecca told her about, when you need to go to the bathroom, you say, I'm reapplying my my lip liner. Rebecca smiles, recognizing it. Keely heads off. Back and in. it was right before, right after she said I was nervous, right? And yeah. For a lot of people, you know, you have to use the bathroom when you're nervous. Like, he, she, I'm really nervous. I've got to reapply my lip liner. Absolutely. Rebecca, with Keely left, is now greeted by Rupert and Bex. And I don't I don't really remember her interacting with Bex, but I particularly don't remember, remember her interacting. I think she has, but it was never this friendly. She's positively friendly with Bex in terms of the two of them interacting with each other. Almost playful. And Bex seems to respond to it well because she gets in a really fun joke at Rupert's expense on the subject of, yeah, the baby's drooling and pooping around the house. And she she, she notes that, well, yeah, she takes after her father, which Rebecca and Bex laugh at. Rupert doesn't seem as amused by this. Yeah, he doesn't like two things. One, he doesn't like his age being called out. And two, he doesn't like the fact that they're connecting. But I do think that when you get to the point where you can, when it's not bullshit and only you know, only you are ever going to know. When you can actually get a quick laugh in, get a quick conversation in, a little tete-a-tete with your ex's new boyfriend or girlfriend, if you have that, that's elite level. That's Jedi Master, I'm over you. Like yeah. I, I, That's a real high one. I would also like to go back that uh, the, the scene where the players are getting off the bus, Zava's getting off, wonderful song here, Digital Planet, Rebirth of Slick. Cool song, like yeah. that? Cool like that. Mm-hmm. Cool like that. That's actually a, a old, older song, about thirty year old song, but really wonderful. Uh, I agree. The people often talk about in the aftermath of the relationship, the post relationship war about who is winning it in terms of who's doing better with their lives. Being able to bond with your ex's current relationship partner, you're winning the relationship wars in terms of that. Well, you are. Yeah, you're Yoda level over. That's that's Jedi Master level over. But I will say, like. Can't be bullshit, right? Like, cause some, be some people force, Can't some people force that relationship because you're still trying to get mine information about your ex. And then that's, that's a whole different level of uh, unhealthy. Absolutely. Uh, in the bathroom, Keely, uh, realizes she has other problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, her period has started best. unexpectedly. I, love uh, I love how it's not Cockney, but whatever her just very thick accent just starts to get all the thicker when she feels like she's just talking to a random person or when she feels like she's alone. We, we get to see the young Keely that grew up and maybe has tried to alter her accent a little bit or at least calm it down as she goes. Uh, Which I super appreciate because like me that, 30 years accurate. ago, I had a massive Southern accent and got oh, to yeah. college. And, we and we all code to, shift. We're able to get get away from it. And I like when she does that. Like, yeah, was she, and especially that line where she goes, I'm on my fucking period. Like that <laughs> line, I really feel like it comes out. Uh she asks the neighboring stall for assistance, to which the other resident helpfully has come fully repaired with all available options, including a tampon. 
uh, Keely, not realizing it is, as she said, is talking, um, is just merely com- interacting as she way, the way that Keely does when she doesn't feel like she needs to, you know, put on airs. Mostly just commenting that the person has very nice shoes, but she doesn't otherwise see who it is. Ted, meanwhile, is getting in a crowded elevator, which that elevator is so crowded that if that door opened, I would just immediately go, I'll take the next one. Ted's not that guy. Gets in, tries to maintain polite chit-chat with those next to them, asking the tall guy that he's standing next to whether he's dead with a tree or something. Before following up with a great pun of our knob screwing on, hey, speaking of trees, who are y'all rooting for today? I had, again, stopped the episode just comment, that was quick, Ted. Well done. He's a funny guy. Like, he's he's funny. In a, I mean, obviously, it's a written show, right? But if somebody had, like, half this ability to be fast on their feet, I'd be like, my God, the, you have, a, like, a genuine comedy mind. Like, that's real. That's a really fast joke. Why are the you word play. The wordplay is good. You had other career paths that were available to you, sir. Perhaps. Yeah, maybe actor, you should. Who knows? Yeah, maybe you should, like, I don't know, do Second City and write for SNL and then maybe, I don't know, create television shows. Excellent. Maybe you go read a show about a coach that goes to the UK. Is that going too far? Can we go back? Like, I I'd just like to get out there in the world, in the ether, my approval for, can we just make it socially acceptable that tampons are in women's bathrooms? Like, like some of them are sometimes like, like, it's a great like, thing. Yeah. Like, like the same, like we expect to have like, um, the, you know, the ability to wipe, wipe our hands off with like some paper towels or something. There mm-hmm. should be fucking tampons there. Like it's just, it, Build that into your business model. Put it in your overhead. Anyway, that's I'd like to have that on record, sir. I agree, sir. Well done. M- motion, motion carried. Uh, ever, no one in the elevators that inch didn't interact with him. They all leave except for one, a decidedly cowering Nate in the corner who has turned his back. <laughs> if I can't see, if I can't see you, you can't see me. Kind of interaction to this. <laughs> Ted, this is interesting. He greets Nate like an old friend that he hasn't seen in a long time. Like, nothing's wrong. Like, there's no issue between them. And Nate, maybe just responding to that, that Ted's not jumping on him, that there doesn't seem to be any element of judgment or hostility coming from that, immediately seems to go to a place of where he's trying to set up or start to apologize. However, Sith Lord that he is, recognizing that his Padawan is now returning to the light, Rupert swoops in to immediately break that from happening. Looking none too happy that we found Nate in this situation anyway. Yeah, this is this is Darth Vader looking at Obi Wan or looking at Anakin, um, Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. and you know the Emperor just pulls him right back. The Emperor just yank, mm-hmm. yanks him right back. You, you, no no personal conversations with Luke Anakin. Uh, Nate goes off. a lot of Star Wars references episodes out of me. Maybe I should back up the Star Wars references. Uh, maybe we'll save those for other Star Wars podcast. You know, uh, Ted tries to greet Rupert in a politely friendly manner. Rupert scoffs at the mere concept of it and instead just merely says, good luck, and heads on off. Uh, Keely, though, is meeting Jack Danvers for the first time and realizing to her oar that Jack is the woman from the bathroom with the nice shoes. They all share an awkward moment on the, on the gender assumption attached to Jack's name, while Higgins brings up the old riddle. Had you heard this riddle before about, you know, yeah. it's a it's a classic one of where, you know, father and son in a car wreck, dad dies instantly, the son is rushed to the emergency room, the surgeon walks in and says, I can't operate on this boy, he's my son. And it's playing on everyone's gender assumptions attached to a doctor always being male. It's an old riddle that the show tries to poke a little bit of fun at here about how much it is no longer necessarily reflective of people's assumptions carried with the times. I appreciate that, like, when Hickey Bottoms has a thing, Mm -hmm. he, like, clears the table. 
he like gets into it. Everyone gathers. He's around. gesticulating, like he's doing yeah. the voices. Like I gotta have Higgy Bottoms at my my dinner parties. I feel like he's a good dinner party guest. That is an excellent call. That man would improve his side of the table immensely. He'd have the other side of the table looking longingly. They can't be part of his conversation for sure. Yeah. Uh, the other options we I mean, Rebecca quickly. It's probably heard the riddle before. Says the answer's woman. Other people throw out she's gay, sperm donor. He lives in a simulation. And Higgins reflects, "Dear God, has the world gotten complicated since that riddle originally came out?" He then goes about the process of wrongfully assuming that her full name is Jacqueline. Uh, to which she notes that no, my dad just liked the word Jack and wanted to have a son. Higgins then awkwardly exits stage right, uh, while the others go to get drunk and takes their seats. Because apparently you can't drink in the stands in the UK. More on that point later. Uh, Shandy also comments negatively that Barbara seems obsessed with Rebecca. Maybe she wants to wear her skin. This is like the sniping for Lord. Barbara seems obsessed with Jack. No, specifically Rebecca is actually what she says. Because Barbara is still commenting nicely with respect to Rebecca. She's also doing the same kind of effusive with respect to Jack. But it was specifically Rebecca that she she counted on to Keeley. Because Keeley's close with Rebecca and... Barbara's uh, Shandy's trying to make a focus of that with respect to Rebecca with respect to um uh yeah sorry Shandy's trying to make a focus of that with respect to Barbara uh at the pub a West Ham fan tries to walk in and to see one of our trio seemingly to greet him there like they pre-planned it uh on the on the other hand though May seeing somebody wearing West Ham gear immediately issues orders to all of them to throw him out which they do to that member of the fan trio I think it's Baz is clear but private discomfort that that happened. Maybe more on that one later. We'll see. At the game, Chris and Arlo are sharing their increasingly surreal banter. This, again, just feels like something the show is just no longer even trying to make it actually grounded by how human people would talk. But they think it's funny, and they're just running with it. The two of these guys just get increasingly out there as they have their announcer conversations. This time on the subject of predictions, uh, with them saying, should be a tight match, Chris. Any predictions? I stopped making predictions, Arlo, because I was never wrong. Got to the point I was worried I was the one making things happen. Well, that's interesting. I know you would say that. I've never heard announcers interact that way before. I'd be very entertained if they did, but this is just how the show says these two run. Uh, Fans in the stands are singing for West Ham. The anthem. We'll talk more about that one later. Well, Ted and Nate shake hands. Ted being very warm and friendly the way he always is, and Nate distinctly following Rupert's advice. Cordial, professional, and done. Time to beat him. In the game, it's 0-0 with both teams apparently playing fairly well. Getting close to scoring as we see here with one shot blocked by Van Dam and another shot by Jamie hitting the crossbar. Not, no longer. And another shot by Jamie hitting, hitting the uh, top crossbar. Um, a mistake by Richmond, though, leads to a breakaway and a score by West Ham, with Arlo commenting that the Canadian keeper apparently was not as unstoppable as the muscles from Brussels that he's now choosing to be named after, to which Chris rightfully comments, that's not fair, Arlo. No one is. Uh, Nate, though, is not dumb. He sees an opportunity. Richmond's rattled. They're not back into position. They're not ready for this, and starts to issue a special play. The Richmond coaches are merely observers to this. They don't try to counter it. They don't try to direct anything. They don't even try to draw attention to it. They're completely just spectators as this is happening. The play goes into motion. It rapidly capitalizes on the situation, and West Ham then goes up to zero, demonstrating and confirming to the audience that, hey, the fact that West Ham is now going to be leading the scoreboard after this, leading the rankings after this game, is not a fluke. 
Nate, for whatever else you want to say about him, is good at his job and his tactics are effective. Richmond appears to be left just plainly concussed by this. The coaches look to Ted as head coach to think what to do and to say what is needed to rally the team. Ted literally responds to this by saying, I don't know, surprise me, and then walks away to go talk with Rebecca, who was there waiting to talk with him. As we've said, this is just reaching the height of disengaged from his role as a head coach of this team. Rebecca is, how would you describe Rebecca's reaction or state of mind right here if she's going to interact with Ted? I think she's extremely nervous. She's trying to maybe switch strategies. She's thinking, maybe I put too much pressure on him. Maybe that's partially what's going on with Ted. But her, <laughs> how she's nervous shook. and work up, how nervous and worked up she is, is just coming through. And that, <clears throat> that's all Ted's focusing on, but I don't think that's all that, all that it is, right? Cause part of it is Rebecca noticing something wrong in Ted and taking the time to go down there to talk to him, to try to build him back up. Yeah. The fact that she's switching strategy to focus on what Keely recommended seems notable that it's like, okay, okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to connect with you right now. I'm shook because Rupert's kicking my ass from my perspective, but I'm, trying to be here for you right now with respect to that, because something's obviously wrong. Ted doesn't engage. She is kind of just flabbergasted that he sees Rebecca acting this way, because he hasn't really seen her in this kind of mindset before. Uh, obviously, seemingly coming apart at the seams, he just kind of, again, doesn't really said, say anything to that and just heads back while Rebecca kind of, like, insanely cheers in the background. Um he finds, though, as he returns to the locker room, that left to their own devices, because Ted gave them no other alternative strategy to turn to, Roy and Beard have pulled out the Nate tape that Ted never ex-Nade before or even commented on before, and have used it to try to turn the team from catatonic into killers. He said, surprise me. They did. Uh, Ted doesn't seem happy about this, but doesn't again doesn't say a word on it. Probably too late for him really to say anything. It's cat's out of the bag at this point. Uh team is getting all sorts of fired up and they head back to the pitch proper mean mugging uh, Nate as they walk by him seemingly pretty scary and rattling Nate all the crap yeah well it's interesting to me that Nate noticed it right because I feel like there's probably a lot of coaches that maybe wouldn't even be looking so closely at the faces of the mm-hmm. players but like these are guys he used to work with he was in the yeah. locker room and it, it does seem to affect him that they they're so hostile with him Unfortunately, though, this is not a team that is built to play on anger. This is not a team that's ever trained to kind of work on that. This is a team that's never really done tilt before in terms of a playing experience. And it goes about as effective as you might expect, of where in rapid order they lose three players, the plot, and the game for one in what is a mess of a tantrum of a performance. The announcers, though, were having fun comparing the performance to Vintage Vindaloo and the names of Zava's three youngest kids, which are apparently angry, dirty, and ugly, if we were to believe the announcers on that point. Rebecca's pissed. Nate is so ecstatic that he charges off, ignoring Ted's approaching handshake. And even Zava sounds, like, sad in the post-game interview, just, you know, commenting on Van Damme being set off, you know, how much that hurt, and how passion is not only just a way of describing someone, it's also a way to describe a crime and sometimes a fruit. In the locker room, Beard and Roy acknowledge that they messed up. Left to their own devices without any guidance from Ted. Points of comparison are rife, I think, here between Ted and Beard and Roy and also Keely and Shandy later in the episode in terms of leading someone to their own devices and stepping out of what should be your assigned role having a negative effect on what the ultimate result might be. See where that goes here in a minute. 
Um, but unlike I think Shandy does later, but Beard and Roy acknowledge they overcorrected, they messed up, it's their fault. They would feel a lot better if Ted would punish them right now. Like just straight up pull out a switch and just start whacking them. That'd make them feel a lot better about the situation. They could be distracted from how bad they feel. But Ted already seeing that they're punishing themselves more than he ever could and it not being at all in his nature offers what is his most proper coach line of the entire episode that you tried something new. It didn't work. Big whoop. Shake it off, fellas. A lot of football left this season. That's a Ted kind of line. What a fucking asshole. They call him an asshole as he leaves because he didn't give them what they needed to feel better about this. Yeah, I feel like there's a, you know, but it, you're right. There's a parallel in the two situations where there's a boss that, for whatever reason, Ted has his own reasons. Keely, because of a previous relationship with Shandy, doesn't isn't engaging and isn't providing the proper oversight. And then the employee goes out and does something that kind of screws stuff up. And like I think in that situation, the very best thing the boss can do is go, "Let's acknowledge the mistake. Let's talk about why it was a mistake." but I need you to know it wasn't your fault in the vacuum. I should have done X, Y, Z to better prepare you. Cause I feel like when a boss shows that type of accountability, uh, people really respond to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, nothing in my experience, people hate more than the boss who pretends they never make a mistake. Sure. Ted is rife for this conversation. He's so good at this type of stuff. Yep. I'm surprised Only he didn't jump in. There. I'm shocked he didn't jump in and do it. Like I, Keely's got a lot to learn to be, and that's part of her arc, right? It's just learning to be a CEO. I feel like this is a conversation Ted knows he's supposed to have, still didn't have it. Ted off his game in many, many ways, as we say. The post-game interview, though, Nate is happy with himself, noting that the game went far easier than expected Was Rich because Richmond was clearly rattled. He's outright spugs. He's going through this. Okay, I got to pause here. This is something you do ne- not do in sports. You never, ever, ever use the word easy. That is... A- a faux that's pas. A that's a faux pas. It, well, it, it's, it is, a, it's a, it's a absolutely unprofessional slam against the other team because for what, whatever just happened on that field, these are still some of the best humans on the planet that could play soccer you're playing against. They're mm-hmm. still the elite of the elite, but you don't say it because this, because what will happen in sports, the way the fucking universe works is when Rich, when you have to go to Richmond, Richmond will beat yeah. you and they will play that fucking tape over and over again about how you said it was easy. You And you just never, you don't want to give locker room fodder to the other team by saying beating them was easy. There's, this is an, <laughs> it's shocking to me. He would use such a word. You'd never hear a coach use it. Most of them realize that interacting with the team isn't a one round game, that there are repercussions that will affect you in future actions. Nate, he lives off the immediate in-the-moment press, and this is just a way he can get a zinger in, the way he feeds on. However, he doesn't much feed on the fact that the reporter wants to focus on the fact that he snubbed Ted. That seems to rattle him. Doesn't Question. seem like he meant it. Yeah. Do you think he's telling the truth that he really forgot to do it? I think he actually looks horrified to a certain degree. I think he didn't actually want to do that, that he was just caught up in the moment, that he wasn't thinking about it, he was wearing his coach's mantle, and... He breezed past it. And now, in the cold light of day, he looks shook that he didn't do that, that he didn't extend that courtesy in a way that that's not how he wants the interaction with Ted to be. And I think it's telling that he leaves the interview immediately and goes off to try to do that. Uh, However, as Nate hurries off to go see Ted before he leaves, he sees Ted, he sees Ted notably interacting with Trent, which may be something that gives him a certain measure of pause, something to ponder there. Uh, hesitates for a second, though, puts on his smile, puts in his game face, goes to interact, but then Rupert's assistant swoops in. Perfect timing. His Padawan is getting wayward again. 
and offers Nate a personal invitation guest card to a VIP private club. Uh, did you recognize the name of the club, by the way? No, I didn't. Bones and Honey. We saw this last in Beard After Dark. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, I looked it up. It's also not a real club, but it's in the, in the makings of a club of various clubs that are common in the area. Nice callback. Good connection there. Uh, meanwhile, Rebecca leaving notices Rupert uh, cavorting, perhaps might be the word, with his assistant. And so when she sees uh, him in a moment... Yeah, or, or assaulting. I mean, I, I guess maybe she's she's into it, so it's not assaulting. But either way, it's so wildly inappropriate that it it, it rises to some level of a big word. I just don't know which one we're using. Uh, we'll, 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 I think either of those $5 words would apply. Uh, so when she sees him a few minutes later coming to gloat with Bex noting that he's got to go home as it's past his bedtime. Again, mild burn. He doesn't seem to respond well to Rebecca greets Bex warmly, but she offers to Rupert, I saw you with your assistant. Your daughter deserves better, and so does Bex. Stop fucking around. We talked about Rebecca winning the post-relationship, the fact that she can say that to his face and that Rupert has no rejoinder. He has no response. He just looks surprised, caught off guard, and defensive as she says this to him as she walks away to leaves. She point, Points in her favor in terms of the ongoing battle between them. I mean, it's just such epic growth. I mean, in the first season, he, I mean, so much as a hello from Rupert and she wilted Mm -hmm. and she just completely fell apart. And she was able to look at him and and say, deliver that line and walk off with her head held high. Like, wow. Shout out. Keely, meanwhile, is trying to engage with Jack, who is polite, but seems kind of either, I don't know if it's put off by Keely or put off by the events of the day, but she's not really interacting with any particular level of warmth with Keely. Maybe it's just Jack's nature. Uh, It's not helped by the fact that Shandy reveals that as part of doing this new promo, she changed Banter's bio line to essentially sign up for Banter. You could bang a footballer. Want to bang a celebrity. Is that that what it was? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Keely's horrified. This goes completely against Banter's brand, even more than this overall promo has been. Immediately tells Shandy to change it back, who seems surprised and smug about how well she thinks this is working. Uh, claiming that it tripled their subscribers in an hour, which I'm betting is not true, but it's a number to throw out. I also don't find this particularly realistic because I don't think that there's any world by which Shandy could have changed some client information like this without the client actually being the one to do it and approve it. But that's not the point. It's meant to just hammer the point across about Shandy operating on her own, Keely not maintaining oversight, and Keely's needing to grow into the role of a boss. And this is a, a massive event in terms of that arc how about you what was your feeling about whether that is particularly realistic in terms of how that played out yeah she probably couldn't change something as fundamental as the home screen on the app right the very first thing you see i think you you called it which is they're just trying to illustrate that she did something outside of her wheelhouse that has real impact on a client and this is mm-hmm. the example they cooked up, but it could have been anything. But I agree with you. They probably, he, she probably could have changed it. I mean, unless they have like a direct line to the developers and, you know, if they had that, I would, I would probably question the people who run the app and how, yeah. they're, how they're relating with their PR people. Uh, Keely, though, unlike, say, Ted in the last conversation we discussed, seems to realize how much this is on her and seems obviously embarrassed about it and just kind of gives Jack her regards and heads off feeling humiliated in front of her, the, the president of the venture capital that's backing her. At the club, though, Nate is introduced by Rupert to, what was her name, Anastasia? Was that the name of what I'm Anastasia. I Anastasia, say it proper. Uh, who is apparently famous, I'm guessing, as some kind of model in some shape or form. 
And she and Nate share an awkward talk while Nate, as you commented earlier, spits out the martini that was handed him. Uh, when Still no can't drink a martini. Are you can't fucking kidding me? Soldier through, sir. Come on. How much does it take? It's, you sip it. It's straight liquor. It, even if you don't like it, you can at least just get by <laughs> or pretend to sip. I've turned that into an art form over the years. Uh, that night, though, Roy is at Jamie's door. And what I think is probably the most smile-inducing moment of the episode he knocks. He expects it's going to be a trial again to get Let's go, coach. going. Jamie's ready and raring. Headlight on, fully dressed. No Donald ducking to be found here as he just starts charging out the door for another round of training. To which Roy's Best scene of the is, episode. It's a great scene. Roy's as beaming as I am in terms of watching this play out. Because, uh, you know, and this, I sound like Spencer now. Because it's earned. Yes. Because we believe that Jamie would get into it take take advice take instruction because he's learned over the course of three seasons how to do that it's an mm-hmm. earned moment that's why it's so great as is their relationship too between the two of them the fact that it's roy and jamie that are acting this way has just been such a wonderful build-up from where they started among the best things in the series is what they've done with jamie and this is just another moment of it Agreed. uh talking heads including theory another callback to beard after dark are commenting on Ted being laid low, exposed by Nate in the game, that the master has, that the student has overturned the master attached to this. I don't even think Ted's hearing any of this. I don't even think that he, I think he, I think he's actually keeping that on his background noise. He's entirely in his own head at this point, thinking about something completely different. Though it is interesting that as he paces this room, the camera focuses like two or three times on Nate's Lego figuring, on Nate's Lego figuring, over and over. No comment attached to it, no real, almost like, we're not even sure that Ted's necessarily the one looking at it or thinking about it. Because what he seems to be more thinking about, though, is getting on his computer and calling Michelle. Now, I'll, can I ask you to summarize this conversation, what we get from Ted here? I'm curious about how you describe it. Can you, are you in a position to do that? Yeah. I mean, I can even give you some of the lines. And I Please. actually wrote it, wrote it, you know, like, um, you know, you do the pronunciation Right, you know how yes. you they write you write the um the phonetic ph- word phonetically, yeah, there it is. I kind of wrote it that way. So he goes, well, uh, I know, I just I want to say something real quick. Look, I uh I know you and I aren't together anymore, and I respect that. I do, okay. Um, but um, well, you uh you know this whole thing with you and Doctor Jacob really ticks me off, and I'm upset we didn't get to talk about it before it all started. And so then he goes on to say. That maybe saying this is wrong, right? He he backs up a little bit because somebody somebody like this is good writing because somebody like Ted's not going to be able to spit this out without at least qualifying it a little bit. Yeah. So he qualifies it, which I would I, if I was coaching Ted, I'd say that part. No, no, no. You're yeah. doing great. But then he says, "Look, we got to raise this little boy together. You know, we're stuck with each other. We're going to share grandkids. I love you, That's Michelle. A powerful one. And I love Henry. And I love our family, no matter what it looks like. Okay." And she said, of course, Ted. And he says, okay, talk to you soon. And it's a, it's a tour de force by Ted. You know, when he, and it's, I, I'm just predisposed when a character is sitting there drinking like straight liquor out of a glass, hair disheveled to How's think they're kind of on tilt. But this was like a fucking, uh, you know, if you're with the baseball analogy, it was solid contact because he says what he wants to say. Mm-hmm. He's not cussing her out. He's not out of control, but he reinforces, Hey, look, I'm in, I'm in this thing, raising the kid. I still love you. I still respect you. And I still love our family unit, which, you know, that word of family really sort of threw me back because like I would in Ted's situation, never use that word to describe Michelle part of my family. And not because I'm being 
petty or angry or whatever, because I would feel like she wouldn't want to be called my family, right? Mm-hmm. But he still uses it anyway. And I wonder if that's what provokes the reaction from Michelle when he says, despite all of this, I still love you, still consider you my family. It felt to me like, and maybe they'll blow it up later, that she's like, God, man, I really have a good one here. Like, I, you know, Ted is, if he still loves me and he still loves our, quote, family at this point, like, I, I really let a good one get away. It is a fascinating thing. I saw a lot of people online saying they wish Ted had gone harder. They wish Ted had gone farther, that he wished he'd actually made her apologize or something along those lines. I don't think that would have been in character for Ted. I think this is this level of confrontation is still foreign from Ted. We don't see Ted doing this with respect to himself, with respect to his own feelings of being hurt. Ted doesn't talk that way. It's not it's not how he likes to portray himself to the world. This is a massive step for Ted. This is an important step for Ted. This opens a lot of doors as Ted starts to feel more comfortable doing this. That can address a lot of the problems Ted has in terms of just bottling up inside and not being able to interact with people right now, which used to be what he was best at. But he's been too caught up in his own head with not being able to voice his problems, his fears, his concerns, his hurt. He did that here. If you feel like he didn't go far enough, I think that's fair. If you feel like he started to draw it back at the end, fair he did those things but this felt very ted in terms of how he went about finally being able to speak this pain to another person i think that way if you however however you have criticism for ted for this scene it likely maybe has something to do with you right like i'll give me his example the first thing i thought was man you really should have gave it to her harder you should have been whatever whatever but the reality is that like as I've shared on this podcast, when anybody breaks up, myself included, I get fucking fired up about it. Like I go to, I go to an 11 on it. So that it's really me projecting onto the situation, right? It says more about me that I think Ted should have gone farther. I think this is the right mix for Ted, but I like the rest of the world. Just fascinated with Michelle's response. I want to know what you think about that. I don't know. what It it almost, it's a series of emotions that are flowing together of where I saw some people online saying that she's trying to hold back tears. I saw some people saying that she's about to cry here in a half second. I saw some people saying that she's smiling. I saw, I saw some a people, smile. I saw some people say that she looked almost proud. I saw some people, everyone was interpreting this from a different perspective that I think reflects their own values, their own, you know, what they're bringing to this particular game here. I saw a smile and I saw a level of, not romantic love, but a level of like a filial or affectionate love kind of connected there where like you kind of expressed that this is a Michelle kind of reminded what she cared about, about Ted, maybe even appreciating that Ted was able to you know, do an Oklahoma moment with her right here. I, I saw this as a warm moment rather than a sad moment coming from Michelle with respect to this. How about you? The first thing, the first thing I thought was she's smiling because she realizes like, man, I've got a good one in Ted. And like, he, this is, he's an incredible guy. And and that warmth of being with him was back. Right. But that's me projecting. The very first thing I said on this podcast is I said, watch what I say. I will proclaim it here. Here's my prediction that Michelle will one day want to get back with Ted. Right. So that's the angle I'm going with. Sure. Here's, here's where they told me I was wrong. They play Bob Dylan's Don't Think Twice, It's All Right afterwards. That's a good and call. That song is about a guy who has been wronged, 
the, the woman has treated him poorly. And he's reassuring the woman, yes, you treated me poorly, but don't worry about it. I'm going to be okay. I got my own thing going on. And you and I are splitting. Like I am leaving here and you'll never hear from me again. And that's an okay thing. It's like a song. It was like really well ahead of its time in like how it's addressing breakups because it was really nuanced and saying, we're breaking up. I was wronged. I've come to terms with that. And the fact we're breaking up is actually okay. And we're both going to be okay after it. it, it I, I'm hundred percent of the same mindset you are there where I don't think the two of these, these two people are in game. I hope they're not unless they see, we see a massive degree of change or growth on Michelle's part too. Can't just be one way street with respect to this. I did see a lot of people online say that they thought this scene indicated the two of them were in game. I just, I don't read that. I don't read, I don't read that either between the characters or that intent from the show when it comes to this. If that's the, I mean, if, if they, if they are, if they are, if they're going that route, why on earth would you play Don't Think Twice It's All Right? Like that, I felt like that was just driving home the point. Ted's saying, we're done, right? And that maybe the smile is more pride than anything. It's her realizing Ted's starting to work through this in a way that's actually sustainable. So we shall see you soon. But that wraps up the recap. Thank you for the recap. Heroically every week, Spencer, banging out the recap. Thank you for doing that. I know firsthand just how much work it is to do a recap in a show like this. Thank you, Spencer, for taking the time and doing that for all of us. I really appreciate it. Let's jump into the Sports Center top 10. That's 10. That's not 9. That's not 11. That's not 8. That's not 12. Things that we liked about the episode or thought deserved more discussion. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'll take one that I kind of referenced before. Uh, drinks and seats. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't even look this one up. Fascinated this week. Uh, would you say that it is fair that drinking is a key part of American sporting events? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, particularly in these stands, as overpriced as it may be. Yeah, it's a big part of it for a lot of people. I I I don't know a person who like regularly watches baseball, particularly goes to games that does not go there to get loaded. That's just part of I think the experience for a lot of people in terms of watching sports. You people who go to baseball games in the middle of the day are going there to get drunk or are retired. That is a fair summary, and also could be both. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, here's an interesting thing. Perfectly legal, perfectly fine, nothing prohibiting you drinking in the stands if you're watching rugby in the UK. Nothing wrong with you drinking in the stands if you're watching cricket in the UK. Uniquely, if you are watching football in a stadium in the UK, you cannot drink at your seat. You can drink out of view of the pitch. But in your seat... 15 minutes before the start of the game and 15 minutes after the game for that entire period, can't drink in the seats in a stadium in the UK just when you're watching football. They could bring in that cricket game immediately afterwards and you can start drinking again. But football, verboten. Reason why that is, is fascinating. It's recently been called to liberalize the rule because the rule's been in place for more than 37 years now. Whoa. There's a law passed by Margaret Thatcher in 1985. Or in the Margaret Thatcher government in 1985. That tracks. After several events that year that included the deaths of many fans during riots affecting stadiums up and down the UK, and internationally, the Heisel disaster, which happened in Brussels, where 37 fans were killed and over 600 were injured in a massive crush event, which was internationally blamed on Liverpool fans going nuts and breaking out of their stands and people kind of running in a herd away from them and dying in the massive crush process. The world blamed the UK. Uh, British teams were banned for years from participating in any European competitions. 
and 14 Liverpool fans were found guilty of manslaughter as a result of what occurred. As a result of both these many riots up and down the UK and this horrendous event in terms of this uh, Heisel disaster, a law was passed called the Sporting Events Control of Alcohol, etc. I love that etc. is actually in the name of the act uh, of 1985, which prohibits the entry of drunken supporters and the consumption of alcohol uh, from certain coaches and trains, and also prevents consumption of alcohol within view of the playing area from 15 minutes before kickoff until 15 minutes after full time. That law still remains in effect until it has changed. This increasing calls for it to be such as being overly paternalistic and not accurately reflecting the values of football players in this day and age, football players and fans in this day and age. But at least at present, it is law based on a unique series of circumstances leading to the present day. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so there was a line uh, about spicy vindaloo. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the vindaloo dish. Vindaloo is the Indian curry. You will find it at this point, pretty much in any standard American Indian restaurant you go to, you've got sure. things, you got a, basically a grab bag of stuff that you're always going to have. You're going to have butter chicken. You're going to have vindaloo. You'll have korma of some kind. Those are, those are kind of the main staples. Vindaloo is known for being spicy, but it does not have to be. The thing that makes it vindaloo is that there's meat in it and that the meat has been marinated in a particular way. So it has evolved to vinegar and garlic is how the, the meat has been is, – is marinated now before its inclusion in the vindaloo. But it used to be layers of garlic, onions, other aromatics, and red wine. But they've changed that to palm vinegar recently. And so that's what – when you're when you're eating vindaloo, it has like a little bit of a, a, a bite uh, that isn't necessarily related to the heat. It's from the fact that all of the meat that's in it has been marinated in vinegar. And being a good Eastern North Carolina boy myself, I do appreciate meat marinated in vinegar, especially pork. So that's probably why I like the Vindaloo dish. That tracks. That is a hell of a tracking statement right there. Oh, another one from me. Uh, West Ham United's anthem song. Uh, you you knew it before the episode. What's what's the title? Forever Blowing Bubbles. Indeed. Would it surprise you this is an American song released in 1919 for a Broadway play? So it it only doesn't surprise me because I also know they sing a lot of Neil Diamond over there. It's the <laughs> weirdest collection of songs that football fans <laughs> sing in the UK. But... Hey, Great Britain, let me introduce you to Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> the time is here, Margaritaville. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, it is an old song from you know, even prior to the Roaring Twenties. It was a released... Uh, debuted in the Broadway musical The Passing Show of 1918. It's actually the title. It didn't come out in 1918. It's just named The Passing Show of 1918. Uh, it is was apparently originally adopted by West Ham. They claim it's an anthem in the 20s, though the first record of it being sung is by fans is in 1940. And it is purportedly one of the most recognizable club anthems in English football. The lyrics, though, are almost just kind of weird for what I would assume is like a fight song of where they come across as being very depressing of where it's a song about, you know, that your dreams and your hopes like bubbles are just bursting meaningless in the air. It's like, and that's the song that gets you jazzed for the game? Okay, you do you, West Ham. Yeah, they really do. Really big groups of British people seem to like crooners. Like, they're they're a big fan. Uh, So, I believe... I believe the oldest 
of, at least at this moment, subject to change, always, the oldest of Zava's children is named Smingus Dingus. Yes, indeed. Uh, so I got that. Smingus Dingus is a formerly pagan and now a Roman Catholic celebration held on Easter Monday. Relevant. We're in the Easter season now. In small parts of Eastern and Southern Europe, the tradition is widely associated with Poland and is observed by many Polish communities uh, who call it Dingus Day. I think we've all heard of Dingus Day out, I believe that's celebrated in what is it, Ohio, Pennsylvania, that area of America. They'll celebrate Dingus Day, big Polish holiday. I will say this the celebration has been tracked back to the 14th century, but may have uh, earlier pre Christian origins. The origin of the word Dingus are obscure, as it may come from the German Dinger or owned eggs or Easter eggs. So it might be the uh, initial celebratory route of why the hell we hard boil eggs, paint them, hide them, roll them, all the stuff we do around Easter. You're at a level of just, I have no foundation of this at all, that I'm actually going to like look it up later because we have moments in you know, sports that are top 10 of where I'm surprised and learn new things. This was all so foreign to me. I'm almost just like, is this an elaborate prank? But you don't it's learn real, anything. It's a real thing. Smingus dingus, dingus day. In- interesting. Yeah, big thing. Uh, shall I talk about cards and sports? Because that comes up a little bit in this episode. Uh, yes, it does. Uh, apparently, I did not know this. Cards is like a, a indicating, you know, a warning and you know, expulsion in a game, in a, in a football game, are relatively new. They were first implemented in 1970 in the FIFA World Cup, thanks to the reforms of an English referee, Ken Aston who, uh, recognizing prior confusion about whether warnings and penalties had actually been imposed and whether the players even understood the language that the ref was saying, that apparently people just got by with since 1881 when these punishments were originally put into effect, but there was no system attached to them. Uh, He devised a a system to use internationally that was meant to avoid the ambiguity and transcend language barriers associated with traffic lights being something everybody would understand. Yellow card being an official caution for a minor offense, often called a booking, uh, with a second caution becoming a red card requiring the player to immediately leave the pitch for the rest I of the game. it was related to flood, to stoplights. I thought, damn. All right. I'm glad to have that confirmed. It, consciously so. Uh, also, if you're in a tournament, uh, getting multiple yellow cards over the course of several games or even getting a single red card cannot ban you from multiple games in that tournament. Uh, red card can also be given straight away for more serious offenses. And notably, if a player receives a red card and is removed from the game, not only do they not return, but they can't be replaced the team has to play down, which is unique. We don't see that in American sports as, as often. Just um, in hockey. Just in hockey is the key example of where that happens. Um, but it, you can, we can see how much it hinders Richmond here when they lose three players by the end of this game. Notably, if you lose five, you just automatically forfeit because you're under the minimum number of players that's required. I, I looked it up, and I was curious about uh, what's the record for both most cards given in a single game, but also the player that has the most car- red cards, period. And this one guy, Gerardo Bedoya, he's a midfielder who used to play in Colombia, defensive midfielder used to play in Colombia. He has twice as many as any other player in history, where he's got 46 red cards in his career, including one that got him a 15-game suspension for throwing an elbow and then a rapid kick to the head of another player. Uh, And apparently he's going to continue to get red cards after he's no longer a player but is still a coach and still finds a way to get red cards for it. Well, part of his routine. I think we can evoke the 
Christmas list of things that I will request that Spencer will never get me. I like a Padoya jersey. Could I get that? It feels like a real awesome deep cut if you're wearing the kit for the guy who has the most red cards of all time. Sir. I, I think that's I, a great inside joke. I will do this for you. I will find a way. May have to import it from Columbia, but I've got relatives that can help me out here. Although uh, I do still say that my number one requirement for a kit is Jamie Tart. Do, 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 Jamie Tart. I'm a big Jamie Tart fan. Number now. nine. Uh, also, um, I looked up what was the most in one game, and it's kind of cheating of where the most in one game is 36. Uh, it's happened twice. It's just because they gave out red cards to every single player on the board. Just kick the whole just, team out. Everybody's both, gone. Both, both teams? teams? Gone. To stop the game? Massive brawls. of where f- Brawls just covering the entire pitch, even extending into the stands kind of shit. Just like, no, you're all done. Ooh, you're all we'll run our test. Very much that kind of thing. Um, the most given in a game without mass brawls, though, was Barcelona versus Espanyol in 2003, with six reds given out for different instances, including four uh, being actually second yellows. Bloody damn game. Most cards in a World Cup game, though, was referred to as the Battle of Nuremberg in 2006. World Cup round of 16 between Portugal and Netherlands were the Russian referee. And I don't know why everyone always refers to him as the Russian referee, but they do in the write-ups. Uh, issued four red cards and 16 yellow cards in one game to the, resp- the, the teams. Which, again, this is in a tournament. And so Portugal, they got two of those red cards and many of the yellow, lost both of those players for several games going forward in the World Cup. Mm. Wasn't great for them. There was a lot of controversy about it. I think even the head of FIFA said that the referee should get a yellow card for his performance, which he had to walk back later. Uh, but still Portugal made it to the semifinals. So good for them. Ted drops this great line, which you seem to appreciate. Y'all point more directions than Ganesha given directions. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so I figured I'd just explain. Uh, Ganesha also was spelled Ganesh, uh, which is an elephant-headed Hindu god of beginnings who's traditionally worshipped before any major enterprise hmm. and is the patron of Sp- Spencer's guy, patron of intellectuals, bankers, scribes, and authors. His name means both Lord of the People and Lord of the Ganas. Ganesha is the chief of the Ganas, the goblin host of Shiva. Ganesha is pot-bellied, generally depicted as holding in his hand a few round Indian sweets, of which he is inordinately fond. Well, that's all for me, man. Are we at 10? I think we just nailed it. At Absolutely. 10. All right, train wreck of the episode. Who's the train wreck of this episode? Oh, I don't know if we can fairly... I mean, it's Ted for 99% of the episode. Is that enough, or is the end enough to bring him back around? I feel like it's Ted. I feel like it is Ted. We've talked, we've talked way more about Ted. He talked, I mean, the whole, yeah, exactly. The table of contents of the fucking episode is Ted's a mess. I do think we got to nominate, at least having the conversation, Rupert, who it seems to be disconnecting from Bex, who mm. is falling into old with, patterns, cheating with his assistant, is good guy, bad guy, two faced with Nate, and is just generally big piece of shit the whole episode. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's perfectly fair. Even Nate may merit one, too, because this episode is just highlighting his vulnerability and highlighting what we didn't previously see with the facade of Nate the Great, the Wonder Boy, the Wonder Kid. I think you're going to be pretty disgusted when he ends up with Jade from the restaurant. I don't think you're going to like it, but I think that's what's going to happen. I may be disgusted that they just continue to expedite his redemption arc without it actually being earned. Earn things, show. You've done that well. That also, that also should apply to Nate. I agree with you. All right, that's train wreck of the episode. Let's go to Ted's life advice. Life advice with Ted. Ted doesn't have any fucking life advice this episode. None for anyone. 
zero, none, not a bit. So we're going to change the, the segment to Rebecca's life lessons, right. life lessons with Rebecca, because um, it seems to me that Rebecca has found a way through a absolutely atrocious divorce. I mean, mm-hmm. awful, rung through the, the ringer the publicly and didn't know her husband was cheating. He was cheating with a ton of different people. And there was a whole institutional way that he was cheating and everybody around him. I mean, like you would think she doesn't trust a soul anymore, but instead she, uh, she has not lashed out. She's not projected in that way. She still trusts the people around her. Mm-hmm. She still likes her friends or employees. She gets along with Ted really well. She's great boss to Ted. You know, I think a lot of people, myself included, probably five years ago would have said like, well, that boss is being really familiar with Ted. And it's like, maybe for some, but not for them. Right. Not for, like, not for and, Ted. And, and every boss, you know, um, worker relationship is different. Every single one across the board forever is always different, has slightly different dynamics. And Rebecca knows the dynamic well with Ted. She knows the perfect thing to say, Oklahoma. I just think she shined this episode. I really do. Like I, 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 I worry I'm sounding too much like Spencer here, but I think Rebecca really crushed it this episode. Don't she be seems, afraid. She seems like she's grown. She's healthy. She's helping others. She's able to stare down Rupert and walk away with her head held high. And she's even able to deal with this loss to Rupert without completely freaking out. So shout out, Rebecca. Excellently said, sir. Yes. So glad you've come around on Rebecca as being the most awesome person. I was impressed with her this episode. I got to say, I don't sound like myself because this episode, I'm talking about how great Rebecca is. Last succession, I'm telling you how great Shiv is. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely backsliding on a lot of my my official positions. I think we have wrapped things up, sir. I think we have. That's the end of the episode. Thank you, Spencer, for being the recap. Thank you for joining me this week and reviewing season three, episode three. We'll be back with you, uh, or season three, episode four. We'll be back with you. Is it three or four? Is, what was this episode? We're at four. We're at four. All right. So we'll be at five next week. Season three, episode five next week. And I read the little next on. And, uh, what is it? I don't want to give it away because some people don't like that. Uh, because they don't want to know what the episode is. Tell me but after I, we're done. Uh, I will say that it looks really fucking good, though. Uh, and it looks like we're going to get a lot of plot movement. And I think that's where we're going. So nice. we will be back with you next week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, everybody, who continue to write in. Tell us your thoughts. Give us heads up. Give us thoughts. Give us questions. Give us comments about each individual episode. We really appreciate that. You can do that at Mangum Talks on Twitter. Go to Facebook.com slash Mangum Talks or MangumTalks.com. Any of those three ways you can contact us. We'd love to hear your feedback. What you like and not liking about the show. We'll be back with you next week. I hope everybody has a great week.